Here we have Mr. Mr. Bob Backlund. Mr. Backlund, I understand you're out here campaigning among the plebeians, trying to garner votes, but I want to talk to you about what's been going on the past few weeks. You've been chicken-winging everybody you've come in contact with. But let's talk a little bit about Brett the Hitman Hart. Right here, next week, you're going to be facing the Hitman in a match. It's not a title match, what? mind you. No, no, no. No title Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I want Go ahead. God again. Hold it, hold it. Hey, what, what did he just say? Think, though, Mr. Backlund, just think what a win over the Hitman will do. Just think how it'll catapult your candidacy. No, I had dreams of being God again so I could reign supreme over all the plebeians and put them in the right frame of mind. He's you know what I'm talking about. Do you know who I am? Do you realize what I'm going to do if these people keep agitating me? Who knows what's know going to happen? What the people have done to me in the last year? Do you know how I feel? Hitman, you're just like those plebeians. We don't need more hitmen in our society. We need people. Okay, Bob. To be role models. Bob, we got to take a break. People, so those people can. Bob, we got to take a break. The standards. Cut him off, King. We got to get out of here. To be successful. We got to go to break. What? Kill us, Mike. We got we to gotta go to break. Why are you trying to finite me? What? Kill us, Mike. Let's I'm go. I'm here. I paid for... Bob Backlund next week, non-title. Good, they killed us, Mike. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Good day. You are listening to the New Generation Project Podcast. Hello. I'm Paul Scrivens. Today's theme is wrestling. Mrs. Scrivens, who do we have on line one? We have Terry from Venice Beach. Go ahead, caller. I'm listening. Well, let me tell you something, Paul Scrivens. The host has got himself in a spot of bother. I just finished my monster truck sumo match, brother, and the giant gets out of his truck and attacks the hulkster. The next thing I know, the giant's up on the edge of the roof. That giant then fell off to his doom. And as this whole thing was on Bischoff's cameras, it looks like the Hulk might be up for culpable homicide. Now what am I going to do, Brother Scrivens? Well, I'm not actually a trained psychiatrist, so here's wishing you good mental health.
Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the New Generation Project podcast, where we honour the heroes of Hulkamania and analyse the architects of attitude in looking at the dark ages of the WWF, the mid-90s. Today, we look at the final World Wrestling Federation pay-per-view of 1995. It's In Your House 5. My name is Stuart Brooks and I'm joined today by our very own Cosmic Twins. It's Math Dust, Paul Scrivens. Cosmic. And Mullet Dust, Adam Wikes. Oh, Hello. Well, that's what Gold Dust and Cody Rhodes are referring to themselves now as the Cosmic Twins. I've, Is it? I've not yeah. seen yeah. any up-to-date WWE in a, little, in a little while. You've missed that whole thing, then. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, the, the last thing that I've seen is literally the the Brock Lesnar John Cena match. But have, have you not seen Cody as Stardust? No. It's extra strange. It is weird. He's created a whole separate Twitter for himself as Stardust and then one for him as Cody Rhodes. Brilliant. Do, do, yeah. Are they both still very active? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, do they have so. conversations with each other? Not that I've spotted. They should do. Maybe. How are you doing? Brill. Brill. I've had a, a big can of Red Bull. It was rather large. I, I pretty much downed it. Adam? I've been feeling a bit under the weather, but I'm on the road to recovery, so that's fine. Yeah, shout out to, to Lemsip. <laughs> yeah, I've been almost exclusively drinking that brand of cold remedy. Is that what you're on now? No, I'm on tea now. Stuart, have you been any, having any kind of medical beverages? No, just just water, actually, as it happens. Okay. Are you classing Red Bull as a medical beverage? <laughs> in, in a way, as, as in, I was very tired before we started this, and it's perked me up a bit, yeah. <laughs> the big bag of chocolate buttons helped as well, I think. Well, I've only had half of those so far. Although, th- there, was a, th- there was a moment, a critical moment, wasn't there? Because I, I delved into my big bag of buttons, of giant buttons, and I pulled one out that was a regular button. Shock. I was not impressed. He was really upset. Genuinely upset, because it wasn't giant. Adam, we've been watching a lot of WCW Saturday Night, haven't we, from early 95. What have you noticed about that? Well, in general, the number one thing that I noticed about it was that the number of mullets on WCW is far, far greater than WWF. It seems to be that you'll have lots of squash matches and all the jobbers, almost by default, have to have a mullet, otherwise they're not really getting on telly. And they all have great names like Mr. Excitement, John Taylor. Or The Terrorist. The Terrorist, yes. Are you kidding me? No, no, not at all. All that is genuine stuff. So was was that not too close to Terror Rising? No, he'd gone by that point. But but yeah, but still very close for me. I'm not not sure I'd like that. I I don't think there was any case of gimmick infringement going on there. Or or they they haven't got a gimmick and they've just got a regular name. Also, the great thing is all the original American advertising has been left intact on the DVDs Mm. as well. We spotted Charisma Carpenter, a very young Charisma Carpenter advertising. What was she advertising? Clearasil, it was like Clearasil yeah. or something. Yeah. Oh, we had a we had a conversation about this the other night, didn't we? Because you showed me some some of this wrestling, and, and we, we saw some of the adverts. And there was another Clearasil advert, and I could have sworn <laughs> it was Sarah Michelle Geller. Paul won't accept that the internet says it isn't. No, and it bloody wasn't. I did see Lilith from Frasier in an advert for M and M's earlier. I know we saw um, the guy from The Naked Gun. Leslie Nielsen. Nah, no. George Kennedy. George Kennedy, yeah, advertising breath fresheners, but they're pills that you take, so you, you don't chew them or anything, you swallow them, and they freshen your breath from the inside, which I can't really imagine how that works too well. And okay. payday adverts are the best thing ever. Yeah, they do look nice. What's Is it Slim Jims that match Oh, yeah, there's plenty of Slim Jim adverts, and loads of adverts for the Hulk Hogan hotline. Yeah, $1.49 a minute, you can hear one of his great Hulk messages, play Hulk trivia, or play Beat the Hulk. What is Beat the Hulk? You have a match with him down the phone. 
In honour of the one and only Arkansas Hogpen match on this show, our challenge to you, the audience, for this episode was to design another animal-dwelling-based match for the WWF to produce. Bonus points were awarded for booking scenarios, participants, and special guest referees. The following are our favourite suggestions, and we're all going to have a readout this time, aren't we? I'm going to share some of the responsibilities. Yeah, we thought you were monopolising us a little bit before, so we've, we've chosen some. Okay, so I'll start, though. Okay. All five tiger masks, all seven black tigers, Tiger Ali Singh and Tiger Raj Singh, which is apparently Jinder Mahal, in a Bengal tiger match. The competitors are locked in a cage with a real Bengal tiger. The winners are anyone who survives the 15-minute time limit. Is it a rare white Bengal tiger? Possibly, yes. It's a real Bengal tiger. Could could you have Ahmed Johnson in there as well, seeing as he was a lion tamer? I know know they're, they're different species, but... Perhaps he could be the ref. Okay. Let me read my first one. I've not read any of these until I've turned this paper over now. Ken Raper's 10 Tapers match. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I like that. I like that. Ken Raper's had enough, and so do, and so have 10 of the new gen era's favourite enhancement talents. Upset with their lot in life, head of the Jobber for Life Alliance, the JLA, Ken Raper has a meeting with Vince McMahon in which he demands more opportunities for him and his brethren. Hmm. Vince is, taken... <laughs> Vince is taken aback but allows them a big WrestleMania match if Ken can think of a match that will incorporate all 11 men. Upon much consideration, he settles on the Ken Rapers 10 Tapers match <laughs> in which they battle it out for possession of 10 boxes around the ringside area. 10 of the boxes contain Rapers Tapers. <laughs> brilliant uh, <laughs> but one contains a contract for a future world title shot raper wins and all is set to face diesel at SummerSlam until diesel reveals that he's allergic to tapers and can't possibly compete in the same ring as ken the sad part is that tapers weren't even his <laughs> <laughs> that's very good uh, that, that was complex and brilliant and there's something nice about saying ken raper's tapers <laughs> I tried to pick out ones I thought you'd relate to. Yeah, thanks very much. I do like tapers. In the first ever Never Look a Gift Horse in the Mouth match, Terry Funk and Shawn Michaels compete to determine the undisputed champion of getting out of work with the terrible excuse. (laughs) Terry, (laughs) Terry Funk races back to the Double Cross Ranch to take care of his sick horse, while Shawn Michaels seeks out Isaac Yankum DDS for cosmetic surgery to correct his lost smile and a refill on that painkiller prescription. (laughs) (laughs) The first to give their lame excuse to Vince McMahon wins, and the loser will be sent to the dog house. Very nice. I like the end it with a dog. Yes. Yeah. Birdhouse Brawl. Coco Beware takes on the Red Rooster in a giant birdhouse where the goal is breaking all of your opponent's giant eggs until you find the one containing the gobbledygooker. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine a sort of Hell in a Cell yeah. as a big bird cage. That, that would yeah, be cool. That, that would work. A bit like the Punjabi prison. Yeah. But actually, that sounds like it could actually be quite entertaining. A match with big eggs in it, yeah. Well, at Easter time. Do you remember when they had the Punjab prison match? Yeah. And you had lots of promos from The Undertaker using the term Punjab prison. Yeah. Just seemed really odd. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's it, your observation. It, wasn't that yeah. the one where... The, the, they built it up as Carly, Carly against Undertaker and then they just put Big Show in there. Yeah, because yeah. Carly had one of those elevated liver enzyme things that they all had suspiciously okay. around the same time. What, what caused the elevated liver enzymes? Steroids. Okay. <laughs> okay, my go. Jerry Lawler's Beaver Invitational. <laughs> 
I can only I imagine hope, that would be gold. Uh, I hope Jim, Jim the Anvil Ninehart's in there. <laughs> For his magnificent Some facial beaver. beaver. Yeah. That's that it. it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I thought there was going to be more to that. Right, my turn. Jake the Snake Roberts versus the Viper, Vandy Orton, in a snake pit match. That makes sense. Where a scaffold is erected over a snake pit filled with kayfabe venomous snakes, even though non-poisonous ones are selected for obvious reasons. Austin, as the official because he's the rattlesnake, and is there to declare the winner. Works just like a scaffold match where the loser falls not to the mat, but into the pit of snakes. Bah, gourd. The snake bites, the snake bites. (laughs) Was that your JR impression? Yeah, kind of. I like that. I I like that very much. It kind of makes sense. But I guess there'd be some kind of animal cruelty thing there. I think most of them contain some form of animal cruelty. Putting okay. tapers in boxes and leaving them around a ring probably isn't. But, but Depending think... on how you interpret beaver, <laughs> it depends on whether there's any animal cruelty going on in my last one. A bull-bull rope match. Half man, half bull manta competes against Bull Nakano in an intergender bull rope match. The special guest referee is El Torito. The two go back and forth until El Torito gets knocked down accidentally by Manta. Los Matadores come down and see if their bull daddy is okay. Seeing two Matadors angers Manta and he destroys both of them. Whilst this goes on, El Torito recovers to see Bull Nakano tap all four corners unbeknownst to Manta for the win. Then everyone in the ring batters Manta, whilst Manta's manager Jim Cornette yells, This is animal cruelty. (laughs) (laughs) Albert versus... George the Animal Steel in a sheep shearing match. Either man okay. must completely shave their opponent clean in order to win. That, that's, should... that's, that's a horrific image. No, but I think it's kind of necessary. I think there was an additional suggestion there put after that the bushwhackers, aka the sheep herders, would be involved in some way. Yeah. Government mule match. After the hog pen match, Triple H attacked Godwin the following night on Raw, whipping him with a belt. To JR calling Godwin is being whipped like a government mule. Godwin challenges Triple H to a government mule match, where the first wrestler to be kicked by the Godwin's prize mule loses, not only in the match, but possibly their life. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It, it's, it's an interesting play on words. Speaking of which, Ultimate Ibex. Ooh, nice. So a bit of a TNA-influenced one here. An Ibex is suspended above the ring, a la the TNA X-Division match. The first wrestler to release the Ibex wins. The Ibex will probably be pissed off at being suspended (laughs) above the ring, so may gore the wrestlers when they try to help him. Cool. Fair enough, yeah. Sonny versus Vicky Guerrero in a 60-minute Cougar's Lair match. Both ladies must entice and snare as many vulnerable or extremely willing male wrestlers (laughs) before the time (laughs) runs out and using nothing but their womanly charms. Points will be lost if any participant goes near any form of social media, especially Skype. (laughs) (laughs) Instant five-star classic. I'd be worried if you were in attendance. (laughs) The Lion Tamer match. (laughs) Lionheart Chris Jericho battles Ernest the Cat Miller, with the winner being the wrestler who can successfully tame the lion they're locked in the cage with. So kind of, yeah, lots of being locked in, so cage match I guess both men lose as Jericho argues with the special referees Siegfried and Royd over who invented lion taming causing the lion to sneak up on Y2J and devour him bonus points for use of word devour whilst (laughs) Ernest Miller while Ernest Miller tries to teach the lion how to dance 
uh, when the lion eats him instead. Siegfried and Roy proceed. Do, do you know who these people mother. are? Siegfried and Roy. They're magicians. They? Yeah, you just keep saying the name wrong. So, how do you say? Siegfried and Roy. What do I say? Something different. Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. Spice them in. That's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> A trip to the vets match where Mantar and Bam Bam Bigelow, the beast from the east, raced to the doctors after the British bulldog ate chocolate and became violently ill. The winner is whoever can afford the vet bill. Titus O'Neil versus Skinner in a, in a gator pit match. Titus O'Neil, being a former Florida gator football player, takes great pride in the team and the animal. However, when Skinner tries numerous times to skin mini gator, Titus said enough was enough and challenged him to a gator pit match where Titus and Skinner wrestled on top of a scaffold and whoever falls into the pit of Gator loses. As a bonus, the bunny will be a special referee to make the Gators even more anxious and hungry for whomever, whomever falls into the pit. However, since this is PG era and budget cuts are everywhere, the Gators will be played by Zack Ryder, Curtis Axel, Heath Slater and Michael Cole. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd like that one. It had Titus O'Neill in it. I do like Titus O'Neill and Heath Slater. Alslow's Deerhead. Pierre takes on Bunkhouse Buck, or as I like to know him, Bunkhouse Bob Monkhouse, in a Dear God What Have We Done street fight. The internet will be fawning all over the work rate. Brilliant. <laughs> Even if Buck hooves it from the ring straight away after he grabs his dough from the pay window <laughs> and is never heard from again. That is brilliant punning. Yeah, again, I thought you'd appreciate the wordplay there. Thank you. Yeah, whoever wrote that should should probably work for, for a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> we have the Animal Kingdom Rumble, a massive animal-based showdown to see which animal reigns supreme in this 30-animal battle royal. The winner gains bragging rights as the most dominant animal of them all and a neat trophy with the World Wildlife Fund logo at the top. <laughs> Participants include mammals, King Kong Bundy, the British uh, Bulldog, Mantar, Puma and the American Wolves. Mm. Birds, Coco Beware, the Red Rooster, the Gobbledygooker, Road Warrior Hawk, Beth Phoenix and Scotty Flamingo. Mm. Reptiles, Jake the Snake Roberts, the Viper Randy Orton, the Texas Rattlesnake Steve Austin, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Ultimo Dragon and Skinner. Fish, the Shark, Shark oh. Boy, the Portuguese Man O' War, Aldo Montoya, Super Delphin, Bobby Fish and Ron Bass. And... <laughs> Insects, the Black Scorpion, you remember that? Yes, I remember that. The Killer Bees, Ultramantis Black, Arachnaman and Spider Lady. Commentary will be done by Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan in a weasel suit. Brilliant. <laughs> that is brilliant. That would actually genuinely probably be quite good. You think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your pick for the winner? Adam Montoya. <laughs> Adam. I've got one that would actually be quite good. Actually, what animal would win? Out of all those animals? Yeah. King Kong Bundy. Yeah, King Kong being a 40-foot-tall gorilla would <laughs> probably be an advantage. You think? Yes, I do. What about something like, don't bees cause more deaths? <laughs> than, I'm saying than... that a bee would be able to beat King Kong. Well, it depends. It might get, the, the King Kong may be going to anaphylactic shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't think, think that maybe Kong's got a bee allergy. Adam, carry on. But, but don't, seriously, <laughs> I would like, do if he'd shut up. <laughs> but don't, don't, don't they actually cause, like bee stings cause more deaths than most of the like you know lions or sharks? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, but hippos cause more death than lions, don't they? That's a gimmick that somebody needs to do. The hippo. The hippo. Yeah. Albert was the hip hop hippo. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. Adam, gerbil in the whole match. Oh, 
I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start mine. <laughs> uh, artist formerly known as Gold Dust versus Orlando Jordan circa TNA. Richard Gere is special rev. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would tickle me. I didn't put that on your one, Paul. I didn't think you'd read that. Which bit tickled you? <laughs> Richard Gere is the ref, I think. And it's raining cats and dogs match. It's an elimination chamber match, except the pods are suspended above the ring. Two men start in the ring, the British Bulldog versus Battle Cat. Excellent. While suspended in their respected pods above are Ernest the Cat Miller, Miss Kitty... Al the dog green and Rick the dog face gremlin steiner every five minutes the floor of a random pod opens and a wrestler falls from the sky causing it to rain cats and dogs this is genius <laughs> it's elimination rules for added effect Al the hardcore elimination chamber from WWE CW's December to Dismember appalling <laughs> there are weapons attached to the chamber as well choose from metal dog bowls giant rawhide bones catnip filled toy mice and the litter box of doom to help incapacitate your opponents that is the best thing I've ever read (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering where it was going to start off with but actually by the time it got literally raining cats and dogs I'd bought into it (laughs) (laughs) the first and last ever fish and turf match the shark versus mantar shark boy and el torito as special refs the first fall being in a mega shark cage dropped in the ocean first on the boat wins Next fall will be a bull ring tied together by a bull rope, first to touch the four poles wins. And if the third fall is needed, Vince Russo will pick between the broken school ranch or a house trailer last man standing. There must be a winner as the prize is a trip to the local steakhouse or seafood joint. Have you ever eaten shark? Yeah, I've got some in the freezer. He right ate now. it the other day. Yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? No. no. What's it like? Salty, you said. Yeah, salty. S- strong in flavour, a lot more tender than you'd think. Nice thing. Yeah, add it with some rice. Shark and rice. <laughs> I'd recommend it. My final one. Tijuana Donkey Showdown. (laughs) It's it's a good name. (laughs) Mr. Ass Billy Gunn versus Rikishi versus Vince McMahon versus William Regal. (laughs) Kiss my ass rules. But with a donkey at ringside. (laughs) Special guest ref, Jimmy James, macho business donkey wrestler. That's the best thing I've ever read. <laughs> I'm glad to say I'm not sure I understand that. <laughs> Google Donkey Show later. Yeah. I don't think I will. Okay. Right, a dog pound match featuring the British Bulldog, who's been very popular this evening, versus Junkyard Dog, Pitbull number one, Pitbull number two, Road Dog, and Mad Dog Vachon, our special referee. The winner would go to a loving home while the losers would be put down. <laughs> very matter of fact that one I've got two just Quite to finish final. us off okay race war horses versus dogs the four horsemen Flair, on Blanchard and Wyndham versus the British Bulldogs Davy Boy and Dynamite the Junkyard Dog and the Dog Al Green in a series of beat the clock matches to determine who is the fastest okay I like that mm, yeah, yeah. and a catnip on a scratching post match wherein Battle Cat Wild Man Mark Merrow, Monty Brown and Ernest Miller compete in a four-corners match for a bag of catnip hanging from a large scratching post. And the winner is the first one to fall asleep after a lot of rolling around. (laughs) Did you enjoy your selections there, gentlemen? I did. If you had to pick your favourite from from all of yours, which one would it be? I quite like the Birdhouse Brawl. Okay. Adam? Jerry Lawler's Beaver Invitational. (laughs) 
<laughs> I wish you could see Paul's face right now. Yours? You are my friend, but you do appall me. <laughs> uh, the, the Raining Cats and Dogs match, Elimination Chamber. Excellent. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you very much to everyone who sent in a suggestion for that. All yeah. gold, as ever. Yeah, it was great fun. Brilliant. So, let's talk about the 20th of November Raw. Okay. It aired the night after Survivor Series from Richmond, Virginia, and was probably the best overall episode of the show since the May 16th, 1993 episode. The programme opened with a cracking match between Hakushi and the 123 Kid, which featured Razor Ramon in a telephone interview where he referred to the kid as Stick Man, and Marty (laughs) Giannetti being held back by referees from getting at the kid. After the bout, Giannetti would attempt to confront the kid again, but would take a powerbomb on the outside of the ring from Psycho Sid. Diesel was then shown arriving in the building and having a discussion backstage with his old friend Shawn Michaels. Next up was a match between Savio Vega and Skip, which ended when Diesel wandered out to ringside, laid Skip out and cut a promo following up on his actions at Survivor Series. Diesel claimed that he was no longer the corporate puppet Vince wanted him to be and that he wouldn't apologise for his actions the previous evening. He said for the first time in the year since he won the WWF title, he had slept soundly. That's, That's nice that he's caught up on a bit of sleep. Yeah. It is. It's also quite sad. I mean, insomnia can be quite debilitating. He called back to his standout performance at the Royal Rumble 94 and claimed that Big Daddy Cool was back and that he would still slap hands with fans, but only if they wore black gloves. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe he doesn't want to pick up any diseases. This was by far Diesel's best promo to date and was meant to set up his new status as a tweener. Not quite face, not quite heel. The show's main event was a stellar match between Shawn Michaels and Owen Hart. Late on in the bout, Owen hit Shawn with an enziguri to the back of the head. After Shawn had skinned the cat, he collapsed to the canvas. The referees, announcers and Owen sold shock before Vince entered the ring to check on Sean. Medics attended to the heartbreak kid with the last three minutes of the show commentary free and the camera showed shots of various distressed women in the crowd. Basically, they took the fake injury Sean had sustained from Syracuse and turned it into an absolutely killer angle that takes oh, right. Sean from mid-card stripper babyface and makes him a bona fide main eventer. Mm. apparently Sean had to fight to get the angle played out as it was specifically the whole no commentary part as he believed that Vince and Lawler discussing the whole angle wouldn't would give it the feel of a wrestling angle rather than something real which is what he wanted it to feel like they're pretty smart then really yeah it was uh, presumably that's the first time something like this has been done has it on WWF television yeah Vince didn't want dead air on the programme. However, he acquiesced to Sean, who in this instance was right. Mm. The whole yeah, the whole segment came across completely different to anything that had been seen in a very, very long time. Mm. In a further effort to boost the legitimacy of the angle, a completely fine Sean Michaels would be admitted to hospital that evening. That's that's commitment. Yeah. With his off screen pal but on screen villain, Hunter Hurst Helmsley attending with him. So it must be real because they're not friends on the telly, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Clever. On the December the 4th Raw, Todd Pettingill spoke with Shawn Michaels' personal physician, Dr. Jeffrey Unger. Dr. Unger claimed that Sean was suffering from post concussion syndrome and that he wasn't sure when Sean would be back, if ever, as he wasn't progressing very well neurologically due to having brain damage. Vince then narrated a sickly video package about the nature of superstardom and how Shawn Michaels was really a human being, just like all of us, except for the part where he pisses on girls' faces in locker rooms. I've never done that. No, me neither. Oh, and apparently it was all our fault for cheering him on and that pushed him over the edge and, yeah, that's why he got beat up by those Marines. 
Really? On the December the 11th Raw, Todd Pettengill interviewed Shawn Michaels. Shawn thanked the fans for their concern for him and said that he would return as soon as he could, but his doctors had said otherwise. Todd fellated Shawn for his awesome career, but mentioned <laughs> that he had never been WWF champion. Sean got agitated at the suggestion that this was the end of his career and speculated that the only reason the interview had been set up was to get his reaction to that possibility, ending the interview on a sour note. All of this built to the 18th of December Raw and the debut of the glorious Shawn Michaels' Tell Me A Lie music video. So there you go. That That's your angles post-Survivor series leading up to In Your House 5. Sounds quite an action-packed time, really. Yeah, considering it's only like about three weeks of actual shows or four, I think. There, there's been quite a lot going on, and yeah, Diesel's rocking this whole new not-quite-face, not-quite-heel attitude, and Sean's out, and Brett's not really doing that much comparatively. Okay. But yeah, certainly interesting stuff. Yeah. So, in a dark match taped before this main show started, Savio Vega beat Bob Backlund. What? Sad that this is the closest Bob has gotten to a pay-per-view match since WrestleMania. Savio Vega beat Bob Backlund? Former world champion. That's weird. Hmm. Is Bob Backlund affiliated with any of these backstage stables, or is it his own loose cannon entity? Bob Backlund's affiliated with God. (laughs) Because he is God. Uh, and Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton. <laughs> Although I think their affiliation was quite loose based on their interactions at Survivor Series. Yeah, I think they're pretty piled up now, though. It's Sunday, December the 17th, 1995, and we are live from the Hershey Park Arena in Hershey, Pennsylvania, in front of a crowd of 7,289. Is this where Hershey bars come from? Indeed. Hmm. And shock horror... I cannot find any evidence that suggests that any of the people in the show didn't pay to get in. Fucking hell. The show drew a 0.33 buy rate. That sounds low. A record WWF low at the time for a company gross of $681,000. Well, this is a real shame. Based on what we saw at Survivor Series, that, that's a shame because, for me, it's picking up now. This was also the first in-your-house pay-per-view priced at nineteen ninety-nine, rather than its launch price of fourteen ninety-five, in an effort to make the shows more profitable due to the declining buy rates. So they figure we'll just make more money off the people that are ordering rather than, you know, trying to get more people to order it. I'm sure they've done the price elasticity of demand calculations. (laughs) I'm sure they did. Yeah. It's that special time of year. A time of giving. A time of joy. But one family not enjoying the spirit of this holiday season is the Hart family. At a time when most come together, this family has drifted apart. Brad Hart. The reigning three-time WWF champion puts his title on the line against his own brother-in-law, the British Bulldog. A man driven by the obsession to become champion. A man Brad has never beaten. A man who, in fact, ended the Hitman's intercontinental reign after an epic battle in front of 80,000 frenetic fans at Wembley Stadium three years ago. Tonight, two men stand apart. One family stands divided. Tonight, it'll be more like season's beatings for the Hart family in your house. Our opening promo focuses on Christmas, but not for the hearts. Poor Stu and Helen. Mm. Yeah, I was kind of expecting them to turn up at some point in this, though, but they don't, do they? They haven't been around for a while, no. have they? I'm surprised I didn't say that. Are, are, are they in good health? Well, yeah, they survive another few years. Right. They certainly yeah. turn up on pay-per-views again so, after this. So they're in the package, but they're not. Yeah. Not there. Maybe they're just fed up of being there when Jerry Lawler's openly insulting them in really horrible ways. Possibly. The opening video package makes reference to Bulldog being a man Brett has never beaten. So, uh, no. <laughs> That's just not true. 
definitely loads of Heart Foundation Bulldogs tags in the 80s where the Heart Foundation won. So, mm. yeah. And the In Your House logo hides from snowballs. Mm. I quite like that. I, I, I like its different themes. Our hosts are Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler, and Santa is in the crowd with the smoking guns. Yay. Kimmy, will you go study with me? Says a sign in the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Our opening match is a tag team encounter between Razor Ramon and Marty Jannetty versus Sid and the 123 Kid. This tag team match was announced on the 27th of November Raw. In addition to the events of the November 20th Raw that we discussed earlier, on the December the 4th show, Marty Jannetty faced off against Sid in a singles match. In a shocking turn of events, Sid actually bumped around for Marty for a bit. Mm, Way more than he did during the main events he had against Diesel. It was really odd. The kid would run down to ringside and dropkick Marty on the outside, leading Razor to come out and attempt to chase him off through the crowd. On the December the 11th Raw, DiBiase, the kid and Sid cut a promo hyping the match. Out first are DiBiase, Sid and the kid. We see highlights of Sid costing Marty the tag match at Survivor Series and kid costing Razor his elimination. Lawler talks about DiBiase restructuring the corporation. It's probably for the best. Yeah, into one that wins. We, we haven't really kept track so recently, have we, of the, of the wins and losses ratio. Since the one won, it, it's lost its shine. Yeah, and I don't think they've actually been on pay-per-view all that much since then. Razor and Marty are out next to Razor's tune, and they have lovely matching leather jackets. They, they do, and <laughs> we also see gold dust. Yeah, Goldust is in the crowd, rubbing his chest a bit seductively. Leering a bit. And and clapping very politely. He has a gold settee and an usher. I wish we had a gold settee. I've got kind of like a dirty beige one. Yeah. (laughs) You're not kidding. I did notice, it's interesting, that Razor's wearing his gold pants and he has his golden shower. Mm, And Goldust is in the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. This maybe is why Goldust is attracted to Razor out of all of the superstars. Could be. I didn't pick up on any kind of hints that Goldust was attracted to Razor. <laughs> did you not? I did, I'm lying. Oh, okay. Vince brings up that we can see a hog pen in the background. Did you spot that early on? It kind of, yeah. On the really wide shot, at first, because I didn't know about this match because I didn't read the match card, it kind of looks like a slightly smaller ring. Mm. Full of pigs. Right, no, because it, it, it's... It's 1995, it's not HD, is it? No, it's only as you get a bit closer, you think, hang on, it's full of shit and pigs. Kid and Marty start, Enziguri by Marty for a two, for a pretty big pop. Kid avoids being whipped into Razor's corner. He doesn't want to go anywhere near Razor. I quite like this, because he's really sort of like weaselly and slimy as he tries to evade, you know, getting in the ring with Razor. I do like I do like the, the Weasley reference. That that is a perfect description. Mm. A shoving match ensues, which Marty wins. Marty takes the kid down with shoulder blocks and a clothesline for a two. Again, the kid avoids going near Razor. Some more shoving. The kid swings, misses, gets an atomic drop as Marty tags Razor to a huge pop. Kid bails, but Marty throws him back in. Razor throws his toothpick at the kid and hits a big slap. The slap yeah, yeah. was amazing, and and this start has been pretty quick, and the crowd have loved it. I will say at this point, there's a sign in the crowd that says Marty must die. Yes, we noticed that, yeah. A really big sign. Yeah. I don't know, is that a reference to anything or is that just someone that really hates Marty? I can guess only that. There's a lot of signs tonight. Yeah. And and there's some quite kind of aggressive signs. They are in Philly. Yeah. They did last defile them with... King of the Ring. King of the Ring. I think they're, they're angry. And this would be a crowd that, you know, bought a sign telling Mick Foley, like, his three-year-old son should get caned. So, you know. Yeah, nice bunch. Razor lifts Kid up for an atomic drop, but 
kid blind tag Sid who comes in and clotheslines Razor from behind. I think Sid gets a massive fucking pop when he comes in. They're a bit heel-loving, the crowd, really. Again, Philly. Yeah, I like it, because I, I quite like Sid. It was a good sequence. It, it was nicely done. It was, it was quite smooth. I often associate those kind of things that if Sid was trying to do this kind of stuff, it would normally be a little bit more bumbling, and actually it was quite fluent. Sid clubs at Razor and we get Razor chance. Kid tags back in and slaps Razor's chest in the corner, but Razor no-sells, so Sid helps out. Is this where he does those sort of those double chops? Yes. Almost. Hmm. Sid is back in and he delivers his usual offence, but yeah, gets some Sid chance while he does it. Yeah, Hmm. and King says, listen to these morons now. Razor fights back with right hands and they cross the ropes, but both eat a clothesline, so Sid needs a nap, basically. Again, he looks around as he sells. He does that I, wonderful... I love Sid's I'm on the floor selling. But it's, it's his eyes. It's the way his eyes do it. Because it's not just kind of like subtly looking around. It does fit his gimmick because he looks like a complete psycho doing it. He also looks like an idiot doing it. <laughs> Tag to Kid and Marty who bring the pace back up. Big power slam by Marty for a two. And he hits a blockbuster. Yeah, I didn't know what one was. But yeah, I do like blockbusters. And, and the show. <laughs> yeah. Can I have a pee please, Bob? It gets him a two count anyway, and Kid gets his foot on the ropes, and Marty settles into a camel clutch. Yeah, Vince, I tried to talk to Goldust during the Sunday Night Slam. He was making his way to this private box. Can you tell us why you're here? Are you here for an affair, sir? The Graduate, 1967. Look at him. Oozing the cheese now. That long, wavy, jet black hair, that masculine, muscular, hairy chest. Oh, that is a man. Oh, yes, indeed. Tet is 100% fine. What line does that In ecstasy. It is The style is elegance. But before, <laughs> but before, it's before I drown in the hormonal sea of life, I must ask a favor of you. This, this naughty one up there, this bad guy, Razor Ramon. Could you be so kind as to give him this? Back to you, Vince. In the crowd, Todd is with Goldust. He cuts a promo. It's a bit... Creepy. Homosexual. Yeah. My note just says gay promo. What did you make to it? I want to be careful what I say. I really liked it because it was quite different and you could almost... I know what happens here and, you know, the crowd reacts in a very venomous way yeah. to Goldust, but you've got to give the man some credit for selling it very, very well. I struggle to hear it very well. The sound mixing isn't on, great on the show isn't great. And and the levels of the two bits, because you've got the, the kind of the Goldust mic and Todd's mic, and then you've got the kind of the, the ring and, and the crowd, and the, the levels are pretty similar, which means you can just hear nothing. Mm. clearly so you kind of get bits and you get the facial expressions and there's a few quite long pauses in the promo but yeah you kind of it gets the point across that 
something's very different. You just talk about, about Razor's this. muscular, hairy chest. Did you not hear that bit? I did hear mus- and muscular. And drowning hairy in chest. a hormonal sea of ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, I heard that bit as well. Like, those two bits did rather jump out. But it, it, it's very interesting that something different was happening here, and it's, it's kind of an unusual path, I think, for them to take at the time. Remember what I said about tweaks to Goldust's character? Yeah, this is a quite yeah, a that's big, it. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's a fairly distinct tweak. Yeah, uh, well, I was going to point out at this point, I've got my note, that uh, I do prefer Marty's outfit. That's evolved, and it's a bit less tassely. Right. And I think to downplay that aspect a bit makes it look a bit more sensible. And He looks a bit more of a serious performer in this match. Right. I, I often thought before he looks a bit cartoon. Right. And, and it's now, been a bit reduced, hasn't it? Yeah. It's just more, this is just more of a serious wrestler's outfit, and I think that matches what he's doing in the ring okay. in this match. Back in the ring, Sid is working over Marty. Sid catches Marty off the top with a power slam for a two, but Marty rolls up Sid in a schoolboy for a two before Sid tags the kid. Sid's catch was actually genuinely good. I wonder yeah, if it's Marty yeah. just knowing exactly what position he needs to be in, though. Dawn, I heart you. <laughs> it was another <laughs> sign that I saw in the crowd. Thought that was an admission of love for someone other than Mrs. Scrivens, then. Oh, I don't. <laughs> the kid hits a frog splash off the top for a two. Nice. Tag to Sid, who big boots Marty as kid cheap shots Razor. Big pop when Razor chases kid out of the ring. <laughs> Marty eats a drop kick in the corner from the kid before walking into a Sid clothesline, off which he takes the Rikishi bump. Mm, that yeah. was amazing. He really went for it that time. It's not the first time we've seen him do it. We saw it in one of the early episodes. Yeah. This was amazing. A chin lock by Sid, which kills the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> Bravo, Sid. Quick tags between Sid and the kid until Kid misses a charge in the corner. Hot tag to Razor as Kid tags Sid. Big rights by Razor on both of his opponents and he whips Kid into Sid and hits the sack of shit on the kid. Thought that was quite nice. Yeah, mm. chucks him quite away. Sid backdrops Razor out of a Razor's edge attempt, but misses a leg drop. Razor then boots Sid on a charge in the corner and hits a bulldog off the second rope for the three at 12.22. Which I didn't see coming. No, I didn't see it. It kind of came out of nowhere. I didn't think that was a winning move. I I kind of wonder if if the message was getting, you know, wrap it up here, boys. Razor then attempts to Razor's edge the kid, but Sid pulls him out of the ring. Goldust is a fan of Razor as he walks past him and fans himself. Well, the the way that Sid pulled him out of the ring, it looks like basically pulls him into the ropes. It looked quite painful. Mm. Basically nearly took his head off. What did you make to the match? I really liked it. I thought it was pretty good. I, I thought I thought it was pretty good, and I, for me actually, normally if I was looking at this lineup, I'd be thinking, okay, one, two, three, kid, Razor are, are going to be the people I'm most interested in here. Actually, Marty Ginetti, I thought, put in a stellar performance in this match. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I thought this was good when Sid wasn't in the ring. I think tag team role is absolutely right for him at this point. Yeah, yeah. and having someone like the kid who can do the majority of the work for him. And then he can just come in and do some clubbing offence and get out when he's getting boring or tired. In this sort it is of, a good thing. In this sort of capacity, I think, you know, he does actually have quite a bit to offer to matches like this because his presence is actually quite good, but just not his wrestling ability. So, yeah, when he's, when he's on the outside and he's stirring the crowd up, that's really, really good. And he looks quite good when he gets into the ring just before he does any moves. Yeah, the finish was weird as well, Bulldog. I mean, he's not going to be doing... The razor's edge on Sid, I accept that. But it yeah. just then ended up kind of feeling weird that he was pinned by a bulldog. I get that they don't want Razor pinning the kid yet because they're going to draw that out a bit longer. Yeah. But 
it kind of shows where Sid's fallen on the totem pole yeah. now, doesn't it? Yeah. They obviously want to protect Razor in his role as Intercontinental Champion more than they want to protect Sid and the, the kid as their new role as a tag team. Yeah, and I, th- I think, since, like I said, I mean, I, I thought Marty Giannetti was was great in this, and he seems to be kind of, he seems to be raising in profile. So my question is, will he ever ascend <laughs> to main event status? <laughs> No, no, he doesn't. Oh. This is pretty much his last hurrah, I would say. He, really? very shortly after this, we'll, we'll see it, obviously, he gets a heel turn and a, a different tag team partner, and it's all a bit downhill for him. I can't see Marty Giannetti working as a heel. No, it, it's not a great run, in, mm. in all honesty. He was actually pretty over, I thought. On the Raws I've been watching, he tends to appear pretty much every week. Yeah, he gets and good reactions. His performance at the Survivor Series was very good, and like you say, his performance tonight was very good, but... Don't know. One of those things. Mm, no. I, I thought I thought it was quite interesting as well because we, I mean we said a few episodes ago that Marcy Genetti reminded us of Dave Murray from Iron Maiden. Yeah, yes. and, and I certainly think the leather jacket at the start kind of <laughs> you know lent itself to kind of no prayer, fear of the dark kind of era. Iron oh, Maiden. sort of nineteen ninety one. Yeah, you're talking another language to me here. Sorry, I know sure. Number of the Beast. That's yeah, that's Run, run well, to 80, the Hills at eighty two. Oh, okay.
So this right here is the culmination of the Ain't I Great Tour. But the big question is, and that's what I'm here to tell everybody about tonight. You sort of let the you let the cat out of the bag and talking about the new tour. Well, as we speak, the finishing touches on my new album are being done. That's right, because I'm going to have another one of these babies. The new album entitled Greater Than Great, just like my new tour, Greater Than Great. Oh, yes, sir. And I'm also here to throw my hat. No, not this hat. It's my good hat. But I'm here to declare myself the very first participant in the 1996 Royal Rumble. The very first one. Because I'm going to go through 29 other superstars. And then at WrestleMania 12, right there in Los Angeles, right there in Hollywood, <laughs> Double J, Jeff Jarrett, will be crowned the new champion. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I can see it now. The Hollywood Hills sign. They're going to tear down Hollywood and put up Double J. And it's going to say, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. That's J-E-double-L. J-A-R-R-E-double-T. Double J, Jeff Jarrett. The world's greatest singer, the world's greatest entertainer, and the world's greatest wrestler. And new WWF champion. Ain't I great? You're greater than great, Double J. Hey, come, Double J. Come on over here and sit with me. Come on over here and sit with me. Lawler grabs a microphone to introduce his big surprise. He tells the crowd they won't be visited by Santa Claus, but they have got a visit from Jeff Jarrett. Double J. I should have seen this coming, but I didn't. I didn't think he'd come back so soon. I like uh, I it, it completely flummoxed me. Yeah. Yeah, there's no real major story here other than Jarrett and the WWF simply made up. Jarrett had been working in the USWA during his absence from the WWF, so he was still on the radar via Jerry Lawler anyway. Jarrett struts out to not much of a reaction whatsoever. No. Have people forgotten who he was? Or just didn't care before. Mm. Jarrett does the exact same routine from before he left, so nothing's changed or kind of evolved yeah. about his act. Like, I really don't like him spelling his name. <laughs> Any particular reason? Because it takes too long. It's not snappy enough. Literally, like, he starts it and I just get bored. <laughs> if he had a shorter name, would you be more comfortable? Well, if it's just Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> no, he still does that, that kind of false laugh between everything yeah, that he says, is, doesn't he? Did you also notice then Shane Douglas is doing it in his promo as well, so mm. it and, really and, stands and... out sort of fake <laughs> and false. Is this where Bob Holly gets it? Bob Holly does it a lot, doesn't he? Oh, I've missed this. It's oh, been a while since I've seen a Bob Holly. Oh, promo. Bob, Bob Holly. <laughs> he likes to. Uh, <laughs> oh, I think... laugh <laughs> in between. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna... <laughs> that that was tremendous. I would love a gimmick <laughs> where Ahmed Johnson spells his own name. <laughs> we wouldn't be able to tell what he said. <laughs> or could he spell his own name? It's the important question. Lawler presents Jarrett with a gold CD for 500,000 sales of Ain't I Great. The CD didn't look gold. It just looked like a regular blank CD. <laughs> Maybe that's all it was. Jarrett claims he's putting out a new album and the crowd is still silent. It's called Greater Than Great. You notice as the road dog's not back with him, they just seem to have dropped that whole angle. Yes. Yeah. Don't worry, he'll get picked up again. Jarrett announces himself as the first participant in the 1996 Royal Rumble, and he can't say participant. <laughs> what does he say? But participant, or something to that effect. Lawler urges Jarrett to join him and Vince on commentary. Classic. So our next bout is scheduled to be Ahmed Johnson versus Dean Douglas. On the November 27th Raw, during a match between Ahmed Johnson and Rad Radford, Jerry Lawler made reference to Dean Douglas slating Ahmed's IQ. 
After the bout, Lawler interviewed Ahmed, making gags about what Dean Douglas had said to him. Douglas interrupted, claiming the path to superstardom in the WWF went through his classroom. Ahmed challenged Dean to a fight, but referees held Douglas back. On the December the 11th Raw, Dean cut an inset promo saying that at In Your House, Ahmed's meteoric rise in the WWF would come to an end. Lawler would also conduct another interview with Ahmed Johnson, claiming that Dean had done his homework on Ahmed. Ahmed responded with some words that I'm not sure what they were. What's this now? I would like right now to have your attention... Because class is in session. Oh, yeah, I like his style so far, King. I like his style. Now I was prepared to come out tonight and give one Ahmed Johnson the wrestling lesson of a lifetime. Ahmed who? That's Ahmed Johnson. Oh, you doesn't have to call him Johnson. <laughs> but instead, the doctors did what no wrestler could do. They sidelined me. What? It seems that my back at this point is only 65% of where it should be. Don't tell me he's going to chicken out. Hey, McMahon, man's injured. I told my doctors even at 65%, I can teach Ahmed Johnson the lesson I want to teach him. Right. But he said, no way, Dean. And therefore, I've got myself a new student that I've been training. Someone who will teach Ahmed Johnson that lesson. I give you the graduate student, Buddy Landell. Out comes Dean Douglas dressed to wrestle. Jarrett feigns not knowing who Ahmed Johnson is. He also seems unaware who Dean Douglas is. I like this. This is another one of these people. Okay, like Mr. Perfect at Survivor says, Let, let's have somebody on who hasn't kept in touch with the, the brand. But I don't know if he's playing idiot heel or if he genuinely doesn't know who they are. I think he genuinely doesn't know. Hmm. Douglas says he was prepared to give Ahmed a wrestling lesson, but doctors have sidelined him. He says his back is at 65%. 13 twentieths. <laughs> <laughs> He says he could have taught Ahmed his lesson, but instead introduces his graduate student, Buddy Landell. He looks to me as if he might be modelled on Ric Flair. Out comes Poundland Ric Flair to Ric Flair's Poundland WWF theme. <laughs> so, who exactly is this Ric Flair impersonator? Yeah, who is he? Well, in addition to Flair himself, Buddy Landell, who debuted in 1979, took his gimmick from the original nature boy, Buddy Rogers. Landell was a wrestling journeyman who competed in various territories in the 1980s, including Jim Crockett promotions, where he got to main event against the other nature boy, Ric Flair, in July 1985, wow. as well as winning the national heavyweight title from Terry Taylor at Starcade 85. So this guy actually does have some pedigree. Mm. Mm. There's a story that he was due to win the actual NWA World's title from Flair in December 1985, but apparently his plane was late or his horse was sick or something, <laughs> and he didn't make it to the TV taping, so allegedly the whole storyline was dropped. It's one of those things where I think, if you just missed that one taping and they're so desperate to do it, would they still then not just do it? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. He left Jim Crockett Promotions shortly thereafter, but made a return for six months in 1990. He was actually scheduled to wrestle against the original Nature Boy Buddy Rogers for the Tri-State Wrestling Alliance in early 1992, but the promotion folded before the match took place and Rogers, aged 71, died gonna, shortly thereafter. I was going to say, was Buddy Rogers still wrestling then? Yes, well, he was about to make a comeback, but died instead. In, <laughs> in his 70s? Yep. 
Landell then headed to Jim Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling in 1994 and would be managed by Cornette himself, winning both the SMW Heavyweight title and SMW Television title in 1995, before the promotion folded in November 1995. As a result of SMW's closure and Jim Cornette accepting a position on the WWF booking team, a number of SMW talents would turn up over the next year or so in the WWF, with Landell being one of the first. This would be his WWF debut. So, yeah, what happened to Smoky Mountain? Basically, it just wasn't profitable. So, as we've established, this is very much a down period for wrestling. So, although they're on the road quite regularly, they're not actually making any money. They've not got a good TV deal, basically, which allows them to make money. So, Cornette shut it down. How wide-reaching was Smoky Mountain? I mean, was it national or was it... No, no, it was very much a territory-based thing, yeah. Their last show was on November the 26th, 1995, and it ended with the entire roster attacking Jim Cornette. Seriously? Yeah. What a way to book his his kind of last show. Interesting. Is any of that stuff available? Because they've had some talent from their people like the Heavenly Bodies that that I've really enjoyed watching, so can you get hold of any of their stuff, or is it... I know a source where you can get hold of their TV show, yes. I can get hold of it if you want. Hmm. Out comes Ahmed Johnson, and Vince asks, what do you think of Ahmed now? Jarrett offers, well, he's got an earring in, which was just a really odd observation. Insightful. Douglas slaps Ahmed. Ahmed tries back, but Landell chops him and begs off. Punches from Landell, which Ahmed doesn't sell. Ahmed catches Landell off the second rope with a spine buster and hits the Pearl River plunge for the three at 45 seconds. That that spine buster was, was really cool. Good catch into I like I like tonight's show. There's lots of catches into moves. Always good. <laughs> Ahmed paddles Dean and Dean scuttles off. What do you think to the match? Short. Oh, yeah, it was a cracker, wasn't it? Did what it needed to do, to be fair. It didn't do anything bad, but didn't really do much of anything. So he's still enjoying Ahmed's work. So far, he hasn't really put much of a foot wrong for and, me. And I I guess in your estimation, he puts two big feet right in his next move, his promo. Promos are awesome. I guess that congratulations are sort of in order. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, hang on just a second, wait a minute. This is not my good side. Can can you? Get my profile. Tell him where to, give me a profile right here. There we go. Now I'm in. I guess you think that little victory was pretty impressive. I guess you think all of these people out here were impressed. Double J, were you impressed? Wait, hey, shut up. Double J, were you impressed? Absolutely not. <laughs> you see, hey, hey, let me tell you something. See, when Double J was in school, he was not only a great athlete, he lettered in football, but he also carried a 4.0 grade point average. I heard when you won your letter, you had to get the coach to read it to you. What are you looking at, Double J? Great gig, you got him. <laughs> now I'm in. Uh-oh. You know me and you are going to tangle pretty soon. And I just want to know, what do you think his chances are against me, Double J? He's got three chances. That's enough of that. Let me tell you something, you achy, breaking heart wannabe. You fake! You are fake cowboy! You are urban cowboy, you know that! You are achy, breaking heart wannabe fake punk! Let me tell you something. You got one more time to ever get my face again. Talk about it, do you understand that? Do you understand? 
So Lawler beckons Ahmed down to ringside for an interview. Yes. <laughs> Lawler also helpfully sets up the shot correctly. Spends about five seconds being like, I'll stand here, then Ahmed, you stand here. Then Jarrett, as you're going to attack Ahmed from behind, you stand there. Yeah. It's brilliant. Look at my profile shot. That's very kind of him. Lawler asks Jarrett if he was impressed with Ahmed. He wasn't. Absolutely not impressed. Lawler rips on Ahmed for being thick. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically what happens. Ahmed cuts Lawler off and shouts at Jarrett for being an achy, breaky, heart, fake, wannabe punk. I think that's what what he he said. said? I think think that's what he said. Is that what the translator came up with? Yeah, that's what Google Translate came up with. Johnson into English. (laughs) (laughs) I, I had a little bit of a thought train here as well. So... 1995, new wrestlers. Ultimately, one of them goes on to sort of marry the boss's daughter and run the company. Can you imagine an alternate universe where the wrestler from 95 that comes to marry the boss's daughter is Ahmed Johnson, and every episode of Raw starts with a 20-minute Ahmed Johnson promo? I can't, no. (laughs) I can. I think I'd quite like that. Amazing. You have got a very vivid imagination. Mm. Ahmed then turns his attention to Lawler, and Jarrett smashes him with a gold record. Lawler howls with laughter. Yeah. He really clonked him with it as well. Well, it, it smashes. Yeah. Uh, and what, what uh, results from this is one of the finest comedy chases you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently Ahmed was supposed to stay down. Oh, was he? But there was some sort of miscommunication. As in he didn't it, understand. You know, after they, <laughs> they, they hit him with a chair. Yeah. And they hit him with a couple of quite heavy chair shots to the head. Yeah. When he gets back up from that, I think he's genuinely really angry. I don't yeah. think he's. I don't think this is character. I think he's really pissed. He off. did kind of give that impression. Do you think no one's told him wrestling's not real? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Jarrett whips Ahmed into a chair that the king is holding, and then he whacks him with it right over the head before whipping Ahmed into the ring steps. He gets kind of mild heat, nothing massive. Ahmed gets a paddling, but wakes up. Ahmed grabs the chair, and Jarrett legs it, and Ahmed runs after him. And they tussle over the chair before sort of heading back through the curtains. But it's, it's, it's just genius kind of comedy panto levels of, of greatness. Were you imagining sort of Benny Hill music going on in the background here? Possibly. It's like one of those things that's almost like so bad it's funny. It, it, would, it would kind of remind me if you imagine something like a kid's football match and two parents fighting on the touchline. <laughs> it's yes, that, that kind of thing. It is like that because it, it lacks any choreography or anything. Yeah. It, so it's it, very actually, it actually looks like a genuine fight. fight. I, th- I think he's trying to keep the chair off he Ahmed is, yeah. because Ahmed's going to kill, kill him. him. Yeah, <laughs> it does. It does look like that. Yeah, which which I quite liked. Okay, it's good fun. But but it's interesting. It's it's quite kind of all that that heat and the hint of realness until Ahmed Johnson gets to about three feet before the curtain, in which case he just gives up. <laughs> <laughs> he's it, gone back there now. Yeah. I definitely won't catch him. So this event will be Shane Douglas's last ever appearance for the WWF. By that oh. time, he turned up in the audience of Raw trying to promote one of his shows. Yeah. The security escorted him out. Like a genuine thing? Yeah, this genuinely happened. I think it's Raw 2012 sometime. Oh, really? Yeah, he turned up in the crowd and had to be escorted away. So what, what show was, was that? Extreme Reunion, I think it was. Okay, one of those, yeah. In addition to being sick of his treatment at the hands of the clique, Shane would later claim that he made as much money in one weekend in ECW as he did in his four months in the WWF and decided to leave. Obviously, he would have been at the top of the pay scale in ECW and probably near the bottom of the pay scale in the WWF, so it's yeah. a possibility. He had also received grief off other members of the roster for missing dates due to a herniated disc in his back, which was obviously the reason he's not wrestling tonight. 
Shane would make a surprise return to ECW on the January the 5th, 1996 show at House Party 96. Douglas would regain his position as one of the company's top heels, winning both the ECW television title and world heavyweight titles and reforming his heel group, the Triple Threat. After dropping the ECW world title to Taz in January 1999, Douglas would return to WCW in July 99, forming The Revolution alongside Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko and Perry Saturn, and feuding with his seemingly real-life nemesis, Ric Flair. When the rest of his faction walked out on WCW in late January 2000, Shane knew there wasn't a job waiting for him in the WWF and stayed in WCW, becoming part of the new Blood vs. Millionaires Club storyline. Douglas would win the WCW US title at Sin 2001 and would be with the company when it folded in March 2001. Again, no job or contract offer would be waiting for him from the WWF. Douglas would have a booking stint for ECW Knockoff XPW in 2002 and 2003 before various stints with TNA between 2003 and 2009. He would promote the Hardcore Homecoming ECW reunion show in 2005 and participate in the Forever Hardcore documentary produced by Jeremy Borash. Douglas's next attempt at resurrecting ECW would come with the Extreme Reunion event in April 2012. Douglas intended the show to become an ongoing promotion, but after several rescheduled and cancelled shows, the whole thing would be dropped altogether. Mm-hmm. So that's bye-bye to Shane Douglas. So Shane. Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things that, like I said, I think when we first saw him, I wasn't a massive fan of this particular gimmick, or, or I never felt the execution of it was quite right. But I do feel bad for him because he clearly has, has got some talent, and it doesn't get really, well, it doesn't get realised in, in WWF. I think it's it's another one of those sort of man out of time things in that this fantastic heel from 1994 has walked into 1995 WWF and unfortunately been assimilated within kind of that culture. Mm. Had he held out for another couple of years and walked into 98 WWF, he probably would have been allowed to be himself. Shawn Michaels would have been and gone. So there's a possibility he could have made something of himself there, but, you know, we'll never know. Adam? Yeah. He hasn't really done anything that's been offensive, has he? We've seen him and he's put in pretty decent performances and that match with Razor but wasn't very good wasn't his fault he was kind of being screwed over a little bit there yeah. so yeah I mean he, he's all right and it, uh, it is a shame to see him go so this will also be the last time we see the nature boy Buddy Landell oh bollocks he, he put in a good performance the night after this Landell would actually receive a world title shot against Brett the Hitman Hart you in what a, in a match taped for WWF Mania and aired on the 13th of January By the time the match actually aired, Landell would have seriously injured his leg, tearing his right quad after he slipped on some ice. Are you kidding? No. It's amazing how these things happen to uh, bad times to people. Hmm. But why was he given a title shot? Just for a laugh, probably. It probably is a laugh. He was allegedly promised a big future with the WWF by Vince himself, but that obviously never materialised. Although apparently Vince did pay him while he was injured. He would make a couple of further WWF appearances, losing to Edge in 1998 and The Godfather and Triple H in 1999 before retiring on August the 1st, 2001. Okay. So why did he have a couple of random appearances? He just turned up as an enhancement talent on, I think it was Shotgun Saturday night. Okay, was it kind of like in his hometown or something like that? I have no idea. Backstage, Todd is with Razor and he gives him an envelope courtesy of Goldust. Razor looks puzzled, screws it up and walks away. He's not very happy, is he? What could it have said? Well, we we actually asked people for suggestions on that, and there were some crackers delivered there as well. I'm quite fond of I choo choo choose you. 
and the you have 30 minutes to pick up your cube and something about hot mang or mang action. action yeah that was my favorite although I, I it's a piece of paper so it doesn't necessarily have to be a letter i was thinking maybe there could have been a drawing on it well if you actually look you can see it's actually quite text heavy okay you can you can actually see through it and there's actually quite a lot of text on there right presumably it was just some made-up gibberish but if it was a drawing paul what sort of drawing do you think it could have been if uh, someone were to leave a drawing for you what would be on it probably would be something to antagonize me <laughs> we'll get to that later okay next up some pigs yep henry orpheus godwin versus hunter hurst helmsley in a Arkansas hog pen match. This rather unique bout was announced by Doc Hendricks on the November 20th Raw, along with the stipulation that if you're thrown into the hog pen, then you lose the bout. I've got to say, I don't miss Doc Hendricks. <laughs> <laughs> on the November the 27th Raw, Henry Godwin cut an inset promo during Helmsley's entrance for a squash match, introducing us to the Godwin family, Priscilla and Potbelly. If you haven't worked it out, they pigs. were pigs, yeah. yeah. Other than that, this didn't really have much of a build. Everything that happened between these two really kind of happened before Survivor Series, but we discussed that before, didn't we? This is one of the silliest match gimmicks, isn't it, ever? Yeah. And it must have been deeply, deeply unpleasant for anyone that was anywhere near the pen. Oh, yeah, by all accounts, it it stank. It's right in the middle of a crowd, isn't it? Yes. What was he thinking? Oh, no, I quite like the idea. Wrestling's on the downturn. I know what I will do. Some of the people that do turn up, I'll put a big pile of shit next to them. Well, one of the things that happens very early on is Triple H comes out and he looks bilious. Yes, he does. He has a good bilious face. I was going to do a joke then, but Paul interrupted me about putting a big pile of shit. I was going to do a King of the Ring joke, but oh, fair I, enough, I didn't yeah. have time before Paul oh, interrupted. Uh, in, in, that's in Philly, is that what yeah, you can do? Yeah, okay. So the special guest referee is Hillbilly Jim. Whoop. Whoop, indeed. You'd remember Hillbilly Jim, Adam. Vaguely, yeah. He still kind of looks the same. He does look exactly the same. He's pretty massive, actually. A bit like Hagrid in Dungarees. (laughs) Great beard. Yeah, really great beard. Lovely beaver. Jim introduces the match before Hunter Hurst Helmsley makes his entrance. He has his atomizer and seems repulsed by the pigs. Henry Godwin enters next to not much of a reception. Godwin threatens to slop Helmsley, who bails to the outside. Hunter pulls some poor ringside guy in the way, and he and half the front row get slopped. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I've put uh, about this match that, that, that it's a bit of a sloppy start. <laughs> yes, it's very good scripts. Is, is this the point where we get some, some blurred signs in the crowd? Yes, there's a big blurred sign in the crowd. Would you we, like we, to know what it said? Well, well, you kind of hinted, didn't you? It was five letters long, and it began with H. It may have ended in Ogan. Yeah. Yeah. And together they spelt Hogan. Yeah, that was confiscated by security shortly afterwards. Uppercuts by Triple H before a big back body drop. Big slap by Henry who ties Hunter up in the ropes. Henry grabs some slop from his bucket and shoves it into Helmsley's mouth for a pop. What a pop, it was brilliant. His facial expression was amazing. It was very grim, wasn't it? Because it was a, a dripping handful of green gunk that he just shoved into this his face. This wasn't burger salad. No, no, no this no, was slop. Yeah. And, it, you know, it really was. It was just as good as Randy Orton's thumbtack face, <laughs> which, which is my scale of how good an expression you can pull. Is it on any of those Best of Triple H, King of Kings DVDs? I, I don't believe it is, no. Oh. Triple H breaks free of the ropes and clotheslines Godwin from behind. He seems to be working pretty stiff here. I think he might be genuinely upset about the sloppy face. Yeah, you would be, wouldn't you? 
Yeah, I wouldn't be happy. Hunter punches Godwin in the corner, and yeah, my note says he looks pretty pissed off. A neck breaker by Triple H, a Ric Flair knee drop, and a high knee as we see footage of the pigs asleep. Yeah, they're, they're very docile. They really don't have a great amount of look when bringing livestock into Have they Have they matches. drugged them up, do you think? Do you think they've tranquilised them a little? Well, they've what? probably had quite a strenuous journey, and they're just what? tired. In case the pigs ran amok. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in a pen full of vicious, angry pigs. <laughs> You don't want to be in like a kennel from hell match with, with a load vicious of dogs. Vicious dogs, or you'd actually be fine with the ones they used. Who are <laughs> just more interested in like humping each other and pissing. On the outside, Henry rams Helmsley's head into the steel steps. Henry attempts to bring Helmsley down the aisle, but Hunter fights back. Godwin gets whipped hard into the steel gate of the pig pen. Triple H sets up for the pedigree, but Henry almost backdrops him into the pig pen. He lands on the gate and lays on the top. There's there's good reaction for this. People people Mm. are keen to see someone go into the filth, aren't they? Well, I've got to say, I I thought it was a good setup because you think he gets him into the pedigree and think, this is it, it's all over. And he lands on the edge, and I thought thought that was quite uh, innovative. Helmsley proceeds to hit an elbow drop off the top of the pig pen. Also innovative. The two men head back to the ring where they both have a bit of a lay down. Henry hits what I've kind of described as a face-first wheelbarrow suplex move. Yes, I love that. That's my favourite move possibly that I've seen on the podcast so far. It was pretty awesome. It was so good. Vince McMahon described it as unbeweavable. (laughs) (laughs) Triple H takes a flare bump into the corner and then out of the ring. Henry throws more slop on Hunter as they head back to the hog pen. Henry tries for the slop drop on the concrete, but Hunter grabs the railing and Henry drives his own head into the floor. I thought that was nice. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously quite a resourceful defence to actually just hold on to the railing. It's a good, it's it's a pretty well laid out logical match. (laughs) Other than, well, like, (laughs) other than the pigs. But but other other than that, but in in terms of the actual wrestling that we see and what goes on and, and how it's portrayed, I think it's really good. Okay. Yeah, it's some quite good stuff, but enshrouded in a in a crap gimmick. Triple H gets whipped hard into the gate before Henry hits the slop drop. Yeah. Right, and we, we had a bit of a discussion about this, and, and you're right, and I was wrong. Okay. Literally holding my hands up now. Because I, I thought there might have been some barbed wire across the top, because he does cut his back open. It looks quite nasty. It is quite a nasty gash on his back. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's not quite hardcore holly. No, it's not a back fanny. No, it's certainly not, but but it's nasty nonetheless. Henry charges towards Hunter, but Helmsley backdrops him into the pig pen for the win at 8.58. Triple H shoves Hillbilly Jim, so Godwin grabs the blue blood and press slams him into the pig shit, open wound and all. Henry urges the pigs around before body slamming Helmsley right in the middle of the hog pen. Mm. Jim and Henry celebrate afterwards as Hunter does comedy falling in the faeces. Well, he does. He also, what he does is, as he's standing up, he grabs hand, handfuls of the muck. And when he does his comedy fall over, he flings them up to good effect. I really like this match. You, you can say it's a, <laughs> I tell you what, you can say it's a silly gimmick, but I, th- I thought there was some good action. It is silly, but it's well portrayed. It's a bit of fun, but actually there was some good action as well. I thought, I thought this was a well-done, silly comedy thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of second that. I think they made the best of a, a tri- silly situation. A, a tricky situation, yeah. And hats off to Triple H for really taking the shit very well and considering he's pissing blood out of his back to keep writhing around inside swine feces pretty brave or stupid yeah i thought this was actually pretty entertaining surprisingly so in fact it's unique it's definitely got that going for it yeah and it does fit with the characters and their feud so yes 
Henry Godwin is a pig farmer and Helmsley wouldn't want to go near pig poo. So it kind of makes sense in that way. Yeah. Triple H's facial expressions were very good and it's probably right he got the win but was humiliated post-match. Yeah. So he technically won the feud yeah. so he can move on to something a bit better. But yeah doesn't but he should move on to something a bit better but henry kind of got his heat back afterwards yeah and, and what, what i'd say is i think triple h has developed his character very well and in terms of the quality of his performances that they've improved i, I think quite steadily okay over it's, not a long time after watching lots of this wcw saturday night stuff triple h's performance is very very william regal like yes. On the timeline, in, in terms of his, you know, his mannerisms, his facial expressions, how he conducts himself, he's clearly learned a lot there. Yeah, well, he's kind of an amalgamation of that Lord Stephen Regal character who he was obviously tagging with in WCW yeah. before he left. And again, he's stealing a lot of his moves from Ric Flair, so he's kind of an amalgamation of those two at this point. And to be fair, if you're gonna if you're gonna like borrow heavily from people's gimmicks, two decent people to borrow from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw a lot of actually. William Regal segments, didn't we? Or Lord Stephen Regal, I should say, on Saturday where he's night. Training Bobby Eaton. To be upper class. Yeah. It's brilliant. And it really is it's great. You should watch them, Paul. You'd enjoy them. Okay. So that gash on Hunter's back is pretty nasty, right? Yeah. Yeah. Plus now it's full of fecal matter. So, yeah. Well, as you can imagine, filling an open wound caused by metal with animal feces is not the best idea <laughs> in the world. And poor Triple H had to go and get a tetanus shot afterwards as it got infected. Oh, dear. Yeah. The damage would be so great that Kevin Nash would note that when he faced Triple H in their ladder match at TLC 2011, he could still see scarring from the cut on his back. Wow. Oh, really? So that stayed with him for his career. The mark of pig pen match. Because it, was it actually just like the metal at the top? But there was, because there was something wrapped there around it. There was something it. wrapped around. Co- but... Kind of like some kind of chain. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It wasn't barbed wire, but it was no. something metal and protruding. Yeah. A video package shows... Hang, us... hang on, hang on. We're, we're skipping over something. <laughs> what, whatever what could it be? What are we skipping over, Paul? Well, we were watching this the other night, and I was, I was making my notes, got to the end of this match, I'd got to the end of my page, and I turned over, and I can only describe what I saw as an obscene <laughs> drawing. I, you know what? I'm really glad that you said that. Because right before I drew it, I said to Stuart, I'm going to draw an obscene drawing <laughs> in Scribbin's pad. <laughs> what, what, what's, what's he drawn, Paul? Adam, you describe your work. It's kind of like a rough-looking woman <laughs> milking two guys into the mouth. <laughs> I, th- I think I've said it all. I wish we could have captured Scribbin's actual reaction to seeing the picture because that was possibly the best thing ever. Yeah, artistically, it, it is beautiful. I've, I've, got to, I've got to say, it did take me by surprise. <laughs> Do you look forward to sort of further instalments of that? No. <laughs> but but it, I've got to say, it's one of those things that it did make me laugh at the time <laughs> because it was just it was just out of the blue. So you're not going to read any notes off that page? There is no notes on that page. <laughs> I couldn't look at it anymore. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't put it up. It's too obscene. Yeah, it wouldn't get on Facebook, that. Well, baby, what you saw last night 
The same night Big Daddy Cool rediscovered his roots, his best friend Shawn Michaels collapsed at the end of a match with Owen Hart, and Owen Hart took credit for the injury. Now Shawn Michaels collapsed. I put him out of the wrestling business. Now Diesel, you want to try me? You're going to be something gas Fueled by those comments and Owen's open contract, Diesel decided to meet the King of Hearts at In Your House. A lot of people are probably wondering where Big Daddy Cool's head's at right now. And that is on the mind of everyone, because right now, Diesel isn't talking to anyone. But Big Daddy Cool's actions are speaking loud and clear. Last weekend, Diesel destroyed Rad Radford. Then, last Monday night on Raw, the seven-footer came in and cleaned house, making everyone believe... Big Daddy Cool's back! A video package shows us Diesel losing the world title and getting a new attitude. Also, Sean collapsing and Diesel destroying Rad Radford and booting Yokozuna. Leading into our next bout, Diesel versus Owen Hart. Good package. You, you like that? Yeah, I, th- I thought that was really cool. Show, showed how his, his character's going and he, he looked pretty cool during, mm. during the whole thing. I, I thought it, I thought it, th- this character development looks quite intriguing. Following the angle on the 20th November Raw that we discussed earlier, on the November the 27th episode, Jim Cornette announced that Owen Hart had an open contract for In Your House 5, but was having trouble finding competition after what he had done to Shawn Michaels. On the December the 4th Raw, Doc Hendricks announced that Diesel had accepted the open contract. On the 11th of November episode, in something of a dream match, Owen Hart faced off against a young jobber by the name of Jeff Hardy. Ooh. See, like, how good would that have yeah. been? Sort of 2009 Jeff Hardy against 94 Owen Hart. Yeah, that would have been yeah. amazing. After Owen beat Hardy, Yokozuna waddled to ringside and Hart encouraged Yoko to bonsai drop Tiny Jeff. <laughs> he did, and then Owen locked in the sharpshooter. Diesel, who had been watching backstage, ran to the ring and big-booted Yoko as Owen had slinked away. In the ring is Owen Hart, followed by Diesel, looking pretty surly. Yeah. He does, and he slaps some people who are wearing black gloves but not the people who aren't. Owen has some new tights as well. I can't remember them. Me neither. He, he had some new tights, trust were they, me. Were they nice? Yeah, they, they, they were good. Okay. Diesel backs Owen into the corner with knees and beals him across the ring. Nasty bump there. Hmm. Hey, already in, in the opening of this match, Diesel looks like a much better character than what we've seen for the, the rest of 95. It just works, doesn't it? Yeah. This is what should have been happening in the summer of 95. Side slam by Diesel. Owen gets some punches in the corner, but Diesel pushes him away, and he takes another killer bump before being clotheslined to the outside. And there's a sign that says, Hello, ECW fans. Owen attempts to leave, but Diesel drags him back. Diesel pulls Owen up off the canvas by his hair and dumps him back down. Mm. Owen's bumping like a boss here. Yeah, yeah and it's making Diesel look awesome. A spinning wheel kick by Owen and a perfect drop kick off the top. Yep. Owen attempts Brett's tactics on Diesel's leg, but thankfully not the British Bulldogs. <laughs> this is something that I liked because I think with Diesel's character and the way it's going, it'd be very easy just to make this essentially a squash match. Yeah. But Owen does get some good offence in here and it's logical, well thought out offence, leg based. Why not? But, but I thought it was very nice. I mean, there's a bit of a botch on a figure four in a minute, but yeah, I thought it was good that Owen got some offence in. Owen gets a two count, but Diesel presses him off. I do love pin escapes where they just throw people yeah. off. Yeah. Owen struggles on a figure four, but Diesel boots him into the corner. Snake eyes by Diesel before a boss man attack, and not a hobbly one. 
No, no, this this one looked pretty badass. Yeah, th- this this is something where it's just the he's picked his pace up a bit. I think he's doing things with more aggression, more pace, more vitality. Yeah, I think that's that's what it is. It's a heightened level of aggression that he's showing, which mm. obviously as a as a proper baby face, he was he couldn't really do that that much, but he looks much better doing this. Big boot by Diesel, and he yells, "This is for you, Sean!" Before jackknifing Owen for a two, as he takes his foot off the pin. Well, he does another jackknife. Well, Diesel looks for another jackknife, but shoves Tim White away and gets DQ'd at four thirty-four. Owen takes the second jackknife anyway, as Diesel signals for the belt. Yes, he, he does. I do like it when people signal that they want a belt. Everyone should do it. Everyone should want a belt. Thoughts on the match? It was. It was what was the time of it? Four thirty-four. For for a four thirty four match, they crammed a decent amount in, and they managed to achieve the objective of this match, which is to make Diesel look awesome, but not demote Owen, which I think was a very important thing to do here because it could have easily been done. Because Diesel needed an opponent of at least some stature, yeah. former King of the Ring winner, someone that's a respected performer, and obviously he's being given credit in storylines for taking Sean out with yeah. Yanzaguri. So it's mm. all it all ties in quite nicely. I, I think this has been very well booked, actually. Yeah, really nice. Good energy from both wrestlers, made them both look pretty decent, so, yeah. Uh, just a bit short. My note is, exactly how Diesel should have been booked as champion. How yeah. did they not realise that until he lost the belt? Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Yeah. You've had a year to do something with this guy, and it wasn't working from, really, the get-go. Yeah. So why didn't you just, halfway through it, at least, just say, right, we're going to try something different? Well, I would say better late than never. It was one of those things, yes, they missed the boat, but... At least we're going to get something good now, I hope. It seems to be going in the right direction. I would kind of disagree with you a little bit, Paul. I think it does do some damage to Owen to get so conclusively beaten by Diesel. But he did get some offence in, and when he did, it didn't require Diesel to sell for 15 minutes. So that was of benefit to the match. Mm. But your point about Diesel needing an opponent of some stature is absolutely right. And Owen's kind of a little bit Teflon in that he's so good and so good at his character that he can take this beating and then come back and have a good match and be credible again. But it probably does do him a little bit of damage. And this would have actually been a pretty good feud when, well, Diesel had the belt. Yeah. As Owen is so obnoxious, he wouldn't have gotten the sort of underdog reaction that Sean got at WrestleMania. Yeah. So where Sean turned the whole crowd in his corner, I think Owen's good enough at being a little prick to stop that happening. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, really odd that the month he loses the belt, all of a sudden he's just booked really, really well. Yeah. Bizarre. So you're interested to see where the character goes? I'm quite excited about this now because he's somebody who started to grow on me. I didn't, as I said before, didn't really like him at the start of his, his run, but his performances have improved and now his character's taken a serious turn in the right direction. Yeah, looks pretty good. Although we've not got a huge amount of time of him left, have we? No, there's about five months yeah. left mm. of Diesel. Out comes Santa Claus and Savio Vega. Savio Vega seems to be Santa's elf. Yes, he does. Why is Savio Vega with Santa Claus? <laughs> is, it just is, seems like an odd pairing. Is this? Did he, did he win this by beating Bob Backlund? In, in the pre-show, yeah, yeah, probably. Won the prize to come out with Santa. Adam, this Santa Claus chap, tell us about him. I did do a bit of research on Santa Claus. He is a celebrity. Well, he's quite a famous one, really. Is he more famous than Jesus? You see, my, my instant reaction is to say no. Right. But I, I guess in order to find that out, you have to show pictures of both Santa Claus and to Jesus to, like, loads and loads of people. 
and they work out who can recognise who most. Wasn't there that thing where they showed a bunch of kids like pictures of Jesus and Ronald McDonald and more, it, more kids recognised Ronald McDonald than Jesus? It's on Super Size Me, isn't it? Oh, is that it? Right. Yeah. But that, that's uh, Kids in America. I don't know whether... Whoa, it, whoa. Yeah, yeah, good one. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know whether it's kids in the UK. Okay. Anyway, Santa Claus. Yeah, well, everyone knows loads about Santa Claus, I think, because he is would very kids famous. In the U- Sorry, but would kids in the UK really recognise Ronald McDonald? Not now, I don't think he's no, not. He, in, no, he's not really he's used not involved anymore, in the advertising. Do you remember him being like the, the whole Ronald McDonald and the hamburger being actually really quite creepy and dark? Well, clowns scare the shit out of me anyway, so yeah. yes. Were you afraid of Doink? I do find Dink a bit creepy, yeah. Do you remember in the McDonald's in Leicester, they had the giant Ronald McDonald like sat on a bench and you could go sit next to him? Well, I don't eat McDonald's, as you know, so I don't know. Paul definitely does. I, I don't tend to go into the one in Leicester. Okay. Anyway, Santa Claus. Try again. Yeah, okay. So I guess people know that he's derived from St. Nick. Yeah. As, as a general concept. But yeah. he's not just derived from St. Nick. So anyway, St. Nick was a, a 4th century Greek Christian bishop. Quite a nice guy by all accounts. And was quite famous for giving generous gifts to the poor. Yeah, he did some sort of thing where he gave dowries to like three girls to prevent them from becoming prostitutes and things. So Santa. Yeah. No, St. Nick. Santa doesn't dabble in that sort of stuff. But St. Nick did, so really a stand-up bloke. So was he a bit like the precursor to Robin Hood? I don't don't think he was stealing from the rich. I think he was the rich. Okay. But he was definitely giving to the the poor. poor. Yeah. So he's kind of... 50% there. Yeah. So Robin Hood elaborated on St. Nick. Yes, he took it to another level. And, And that makes his merry men the elves. Yeah, okay. Anyway... So he died in the year 343, age 73. So he had a pretty good life, which uh, yeah. I think if you're living into your 70s at that sort of time, that's means that, that you are pretty rich. Yeah, you've got to be. Yeah. After, after he'd gone, in, in the Middle Ages, it became kind of traditional that in his, in his name you gave gifts to, to children around Christmas time. That was kind of the thing. And it was on the, on the 6th of December, for some reason that I'm really not sure of, but during the Reformation of the church... They abolished sort of like the links to the saints and moved then that to the Christmas day to 24th, 25th. So that's where that kind of happened. And we've also got the the Father Christmas character, which is different, actually. This dates back to the 16th century in England. It's a purely English thing. Okay. And it's a a large man in green or scarlet robes lined with fur. Wasn't it originally brown? Is that a colour that's been associated in the past? My research was very brief. Okay. And what he did, he kind of typified the Christmas spirit, really. So cheer, peace, joy, food, wine, revelry. Basically, he's a, he's a damn good night out, his Father Christmas. <laughs> also in England, they had this sort of the, the feast day of St. Nick, yep. which this is the thing that was held on the 6th. But because of the Reformation, they, they, they abolished this, and that's why they, they shifted the, the present givings and the association that, that came along with that St Nick's Feast Day to Christmas Day to move it in with that and that's where they also moved the, the notion of Father Christmas then got shifted back to the Christmas Eve Christmas Day type thing right. so that's where that's coming from there's also a character a Dutch character called Sinterklaas Sinterklaas yeah which I think that's how it's pronounced I'm not Dutch which kind of is the person that goes out and gives the presents to the kids around Christmas time mm. So, essentially, what Santa Claus is, is an American amalgamation of all these ideas. 
and they took the name Sinterklaas and turned it into Santa Claus. Right. And Santa Claus then is all the things of this. So he's he's the Father Christmas. He's Saint that's the, Nick. That's, that's the Christmas spirit and the, the revelry and the fun. And he's Saint Nick with the gift giving. And he's Santa Claus with with Santa Claus, sorry, with some more of the, the appearance and the colder climates or whatever. So he's kind of an amalgamation of all these things. And now he's just seen as sort of like this fat bearded dude who goes down people's chimneys and leaves presents for kids. Excellent. The, the, the Coca-Cola thing, like I said, is I think that's a bit of a myth from what people are saying because the, the myth is that he was in green and then Coca-Cola used him in their branding and changed his clothes to red but he had been seen in red before and definitely been using other products in advertising before right. in, in red clothes. But that said, Coca-Cola has you know, popularised the idea and made it a global thing where he now is almost exclusively seen in red. Excellent. It's one of, one of those things, isn't it? I, I saw some... There was a programme on TV so, a long time ago. Is it Banged we... Up Abroad? <laughs> no. You've seen Banged Up Abroad? No. What do you mean you've not seen Banged Up Abroad? I've not seen Banged Up Abroad. <laughs> the programme that, program that I saw was... It, it was about advertising. <laughs> it was about how perceptive we are to very specific shades of specific colours associating with particular branding. So, you, you know, things that would be very, very close in colour, we can perceive very brands. quickly and relate to brands ever yeah. so quickly. And I wonder how closely the, the, the kind of the typical red that Santa Claus would be represented would, would match something like Coca-Cola or other brands. Okay. He is kind of, he's their poster child, isn't he? Yeah. Really, and that's how you kind of know Christmas is coming when the Coke advert appears. It says oh, Christmas yeah. is coming. I've got to say, like, I, I am a big child in a way, but I love not that in advert. a way. You are a big child. <laughs> Can I have some of my chocolate buttons? Yes, but yeah, I love that advert. Yeah. Absolutely love it. it. It just has warm, fuzzy memories. Okay. I, I also find that there's lots of people that are very angry with this sort of this idea of Santa Claus and with the him being used in branding as a way as manipulating the populace in and really children, specifically children yeah. and gaining yeah. their trust and building up brand loyalties with it. And I can kind of see where they're coming from. It is kind of, you know, you associate your caffeinated sugary beverage with the joy of Christmas and kids will just instantly like it and then develop yeah. a brand loyalty to it and they'll carry on drinking it throughout their whole lives. They're going to be really fucked if Santa gets picked up as part of Operation Utree, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Jimmy Savile and Santa... The very bad men. <laughs> well, see, all that is in contradiction with my notes here that says Santa debuted in the NWA in 1984. He did with <laughs> Ric Flair in 1985. And he was a lumberjacket in your house too. Well, I guess trade was dropping off in the 80s, so he had to pick up a secondary profession. Well, and wrestling yeah. was it, it. It would fit with yeah. all the other sort of wrestling bin men and stuff, I suppose, wouldn't yeah. it? You know, I can't think of a better time of the year when all you people are out running up your credit cards being in the spirit of Christmas and illustrate a point that I've illustrated time and again here in the World Wrestling Federation. And that point being that everybody has a price for the million dollar man. That's right. Each and every one of you can be bought. Hey, and that includes you, Savio Vega. That's right. You got a price for the million dollar man. He can be bought cheap. That's right, you do. And you don't think so? You don't think I can't buy you? You got the guts. Then come on up here in the ring right now. That's right. And I'll prove it to you and all these people and everybody watching at home that I can buy you. Throw me one of those t-shirts, fat boy. And bring your fat, jolly friend along with you. 
Don't tell me Samuel Vega has sold out to Ted DiBiase. I don't believe this. Hey, hey fix it, sir. Come on in here, Santa. Ho, ho, ho. What do you think? What do you think his price would be? Two tacos and a burrito? I have a question for you, Savio. Right now, there are millions of kids all around the world and watching home on television who believe in Santa Claus. I can't think of anything more ridiculous in my life. I mean, look at him. He's a great big, overweight, fat slob. Look at that white hair, white beard. I mean, not only is he big and fat, but he's ancient. You're going to tell me he can circle a globe in one night and deliver toys to everybody up and down the chimney? Yeah, personally, I don't think he can get from the couch to the refrigerator without blowing a fuse. <laughs> anyway, my question to you is this. Stop disparaging Do you Santa. believe in Santa Claus? Primero, Mr. Million Dollar Man. Tú has tratado de destruir la imagen de mi amigo Santa Claus. First, Mr. Million Dollar Man. You tried to destroy the magic of Santa Claus. You, know you tried to buy Savio Vega. Savio Vega don't have a pride for you and for anybody. All right, there you have it. You then. asked me if I believe in Santa Claus. Claw. For all my little friends right here. Well, the one is watching on TV right now. For my Latin American people, I believe in the magic of Santa Claus. Si, yo creo en Santa Claus. Hey, Lucy, I'm home. Oh, wait a minute. Now, one more time. The last thing you said, please, in English. I say, Mr. Million Dollar Man. Yes, I believe in the magic of Santa Claus. <laughs> well, you see there, there's one more every day. So you believe in Santa Claus? Well, if you believe in Santa Claus, then believe this, my friend. <laughs> Wait a minute. What, <laughs> what is right, this? That's right. What, yeah, what is that. this? Oh, okay, this is great. Merry Christmas. There you go. There you go. Take that. The million dollar man has bought Santa. That's right, what? Santa. What do you mean he bought Santa? Cheer. <laughs> that's right. For some reason, Ted DiBiase's music hits, and he's in the ring. DiBiase claims that everyone has a price for the Million Dollar Man, even Santa Claus. Savio and Santa get in the ring as Ted tells everyone Santa doesn't exist. Savio says he believes in Santa Claus as Jerry Lawler makes racist comments on commentary. (laughs) Santa attacks Savio Vega. Santa and Ted put the boots to Savio. The crowd is silent. What a heel turn. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to do a really sharp swerve with Santa Claus. He's probably the most face character you could ever have, but let's have him kick shit out of Puerto Rican. Yeah, there you go. Savio fights back in the aisle way as Vince works out that this isn't the real Santa Claus. Referees separate this red-hot feud. I love Vince's shock. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. That's not really Santa Claus. I don't believe it's the real Santa Claus. Now I know it's not the real Santa. What do you think they thought the shelf life for this character was? About a month. I don't know, but it'd certainly have a more prodigious time of year. <laughs> Could you imagine? Like, <laughs> I'd have liked it if you had an advent calendar in, in the countdown to Christmas and, and just would open a door and then attack a different wrestler every day. Or that, that would have been quite good. So, but you'd but, have to have a TV show every day of the week. I, just, I love the idea of Santa Claus wrestling at SummerSlam. <laughs> <laughs> just doesn't work. We'd get very hot. 
So, yes, Santa Claus is in fact Xanta Claus. And Xanta Claus is, of course, future ECW wrestler Balls Mahoney. Here's another call-up from the recently departed Smoky Mountain Wrestling, where he had played the Boo Bradley character, based upon Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird. Not mm. the Boo Radleys. No, not the Boo Radleys. Who would have been around, kind of around now, wouldn't well, they? Wake Up Boo? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. it's got to be about... 94, 95, hasn't it? Good song, actually. I quite like that. Allegedly, he was a bit of a pain backstage and needed everything explaining to him in explicit detail and was canned almost immediately, which is probably a good thing given, yeah, the obvious shelf life of this character being about, ooh, another week. (laughs) (laughs) Santa Claus would only wrestle one match on television. Really? Defeating Scott Taylor in a bout aired on the 23rd of December Superstars. Scotty too hotty. Presumably they couldn't have aired it on December the 24th as he would have been busy. Yeah. The only man to lose to Santa is Scotty too hotty. <laughs> there was another match, but it didn't end up airing on TV. I should also mention that Santa Claus is from the South Pole, not the North Pole. Is it, so he's the anti-Santa. I guess so. Yeah. During Santa's match against Scott Taylor, Ted DiBiase would cut a promo alluding to the fact that he would soon debut his new million dollar champion but we'll talk about that guy another time a lot of those stupid fans think that i'm scared of the undertaker because i ran at the survivor city no matter what you say no matter what you do i have no fear for you i was the first one to ever pin his shoulders to the mat I was the first one to put him out of action. And I'm going to be the first one to put him in that casket to rest in peace for good. Video package for King Mabel versus The Undertaker. Oh, look, Mabel stole the remnants of the urn. And it's another fucking casket match. We, we've seen we've seen a, a good amount of these already. And they're never good, are they? So how many have we seen? We've seen... Um, four. This is the fourth. fourth, isn't it? So what, we've seen two with Yokozuna? Two Yokozuna and a Karma. Yeah. And now we've got a Marbler. Yeah. On the November the 27th Raw, The Undertaker was scheduled to face Karma in a match to reclaim possession of the remnants of his urn. Karma, however, came out on crutches. His manager, Ted DiBiase, claimed that Karma was injured, but he had purchased a replacement, the finest replacement that money could buy, Sir Mo. Predictably, it was all a bruise and Karma wasn't really injured as he attacked The Undertaker behind the referee's back. Undertaker would go on to win the match via Tombstone and claim back the chain that was formerly his urn. After the match, Mabel came out, followed by Yokozuna. With Yoko in the ring, distracting the dead man, Mabel attacked Paul Bearer and, 
shock horror, ran off with the urn slash chain. On the 4th of December rule... The churn. Yeah, yeah, the churn. We can call it that. On the 4th of December rule, Brother Love interviewed King Maybell. Brother Love told Brother Maybell that at In Your House, he would be facing The Undertaker in a casket match. Mabel claimed that he would be the first man to single-handedly place The Undertaker into his own casket. Brother Love then introduced a casket which was pushed to the ring by Brother Mo and had revealed that he had custom-painted a casket for Mabel. Mm. You look thrilled by all this, I must say. Yeah, I'm not. Casket match fills me with dread. Casket match starring Mabel is not good. Mabel is in the ring with Sir Mo and the churn. Taker enters next with Paul Bearer doing some shouting. He's, he's a bit cross. He's been yeah, stolen again. I quite like that. Taker does get a good pop. And I, yeah. made, I noted that he looks like a bird with this mask. Mabel attacks Undertaker to start with headbutts, but Taker fights back with punches and a choke in the corner. Splash in the corner by Taker before Mabel hits his black hole slam, but Taker sits up. Clothesline by Mabel, but Taker sits up. There's a lot of sitting up. Body slam by Mabel, but Taker sits up as Mabel attempts a splash off the second rope. I actually really liked that whole sequence. I kind of do, but we've seen this before. You can't just... All of your stuff that you do can't just be taking a move and sitting up. There has to be more variation to it. But I like the fact that it sells to Mabel this time, like, he is proper fucked. Clothesline by Taker, but Mabel won't budge. Another, and he wobbles. Mo tries to distract Taker, and he walks into a belly-to-belly from Mabel. Leg drop by Mabel, but at least Undertaker has a protective mask this time. Yeah. yeah. And his belly-to-belly was pretty good, actually. I've always liked his belly-to-belly. I actually think it is quite a good move. I think, well, Yokozuna's was good as well, isn't it? It's like I, if you've got a massive belly, it gives you power to do a good belly-to-belly. Or if you're Scott Steiner. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I, I did Jack actually... Shamrock. I did notice with this one that he really gets his leg into it. Obviously, it's probably quite difficult to do a belly-to-belly on the, on the guy that's after the Undertaker. Probably isn't easy to do. And he kind of mm. uses his right leg to help get the Undertaker up and round. And I actually think he does it very well. Yeah, fair play to him, I suppose. Taker attempts to sit up from the leg drop, but can't. That just made him weird. But it sort of sells that Mabel's leg drop is probably his most, most destructive piece of offence. Yeah. I don't like the leg drop as a move. Like, is there anything other than, like, a little transitional move? Not even Yokozuna's. That looked amazing. Yeah, like, Yokozuna's leg drop's amazing. Not even That's that, I was going to say, that's the only one that I've been impressed by. Big splash by Mabel. Mabel poses for minimal heat as Mo tries to carry Taker to the casket, so he's just injected himself in this match. Well, he does carry him to the casket. Taker rolls into the casket and Mabel and Mo celebrate as Mabel gets his crown. At this point, is, is Mo won? <laughs> as Mo won the casket Because yeah, Mo technically put him in the casket. <laughs> well, he certainly did. But Mo forgot to close the lid, silly. Mo's an idiot. Rookie error. Taker gets his hand up and stops the lid shutting. Mabel looks scared as Taker re-enters the ring. Undertaker with throat thrusts and clotheslines and a flying one finally takes Mabel down. Mm, that was good. But during this sequence, his, his crown falls off and he treads on it, crushing it very easily. I'm not sure it's a genuinely good crown. <laughs> Taker signals for a choke slam, and Mabel sort of jumps for it. It's not yeah. bad, you know, for for a choke slam on the guy the size of Mabel, it's, it's perfectly acceptable. Taker then knees Mabel from behind into the casket. As he attempts to close the lid, Mo attacks. Taker chokes Mo with the chain and choke slams Sir Mo. Taker rolls Mo into the casket with Mabel and closes the lid after retrieving the churn for the Thank win you. at six eleven. At least it was short. 
Yeah, mercifully short. Yeah. Yeah, for a casket match between Undertaker and Mabel, it was, yeah, kept short and... Yeah, there was some decent stuff in there. It was nowhere near as bad as I expected it to be. Yeah. yeah it, and at least it wasn't 15 minutes. It could have been a lot worse. At least they've learned from the other casket matches, and I'd probably say that this is the best one that we've seen thus far. Yeah. Is it just because it's shorter? I think I think possibly it is because it's short, but also it kind of serves its purpose in terms of, for, for a decent portion of it, yes, they did book Mabel to look relatively strong, but yes, the outcome was correct and... Take it gets it's kind of a against. decisive win as well, isn't it? It kind yeah. of very much packs Mo and Mabel off and, yeah, fuck off now. Does this, does this end then? Mabel will see at the Royal Rumble, but, yeah, this is pretty much the end of their push, thankfully. Right. I, they, they, when they've got the churn, I've got to say, uh, written down here, Paul Bearer holds it like a baby. I've got, you know when you see it from a distance, where Mo's wearing it when he comes out, it kind of looks like tinsel. You think he got it off Xanta? Possibly. Yeah, it looks Christmassy. Taker poses with his new churn anyway, and he signals for a belt, well, either that or that he's going to melt the churn into a belt. belt. He should do. There should be a dead man championship. I sure am, best, ladies and gentlemen, what a matchup we have just seen and what a tremendous match we're about to see. Before we talk to Mr. and Mrs. Davy Boy Smith and Jim Cornette, I'd like to take you back to Wembley Stadium. It was 1992. Diana was there at ringside, and what a matchup. Davey Boy Smith reversing the sunset flip to win the Intercontinental Championship before 80,355 fans. You see a very joyful reunion in the ring, but for some reason, I don't think we're going to see that right here tonight. I'm joined now, ladies and gentlemen, by Jim Cornette, Mr. and Mrs. Davey Boy Smith. This is going to be a classic. Red Hart, you've been jealous of this man since the first day you laid eyes on in 1981. Calgary Stampede Wrestling, he came in, a fresh-faced hotshot kid from England. He stole your thunder, he stole your fans, he stole your father, Stu Hart's respect. When Stu Hart came up and patted him on the back and said, Davey, you're just like a son to me. That stuck a knife in your guts, punk. Then your sister fell in love with him and decided to get married. She used to be thinking that you were her hero, but all of a sudden she had a new hero, Brett. Then he took your Intercontinental title. Tonight, he's going to make it a clean sweep. He's going to give that knife another twist, punk. And Bret Hart, you're going down at the hands of the man you've never beaten, the British Bulldog. Diana here at the holiday season, though, in 1992. You had some mixed emotions. Do you have any mixed emotions right now? Oh, no, none at all. I have complete faith in my husband, Davey, and I believe since he's beat Brett twice already, he'll beat him again tonight. All right, Davey, last-minute thoughts. Brett, I beat you 1992, Wembley Stadium, for the Intercontinental title. Tonight, in your house, I'm going to win the World Wrestling Federation title and put it around the British Bulldogs' waist, where it rightfully belongs. Jim Ross shows us highlights of SummerSlam 1992. Jim Cornette, Davey Boy Smith and Diana Smith join him. Cornette cuts a belter of a promo about their history. Really good. This is probably one of the best promos that we've had in, in terms of not just... Good in terms of a shouty promo, in terms of what Adam likes, or a comedy promo, in terms of what a genuinely good wrestling promo should seriously sound like. In terms of making you hyped for a match and making you want to see a match. Yeah, this was a cracker. He is he is consistently amazing, but this was like this was top level. Really, really good. Diana talks and Davy has a go too, and you can obviously see, as we said numerous times before, why Cornette has been put with heel bulldog. Yeah. Do you want to do your in your house? In your house. Where's he from? Leeds. Wigan. Okay. All right, Jim Ross, thank you very much. The one and only legendary Brett the Hitman Hart, three-time WWF champion. Brett, history's got to be on your mind, 1992. You just heard the British Bulldog talk about it. How are you prepared for this matchup? Is tonight going to be your night? 
Well, all you can do is go in with the same mentality and ideas that you always go in there. You know, I know everybody wants to be the World Wrestling Federation champion, but unfortunately, I'm here to stop them. Now, I always say I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be, but now is the night that I'm going to prove it. The British Bulldog, you beat me in Wembley Stadium. I've had to live with that since 1992. Tonight, revenge is mine, and the excellence of execution is going to shine like it's never shone before, and the British Bulldog is going to go down. Todd is with Bret Hart. Bret cuts a pretty standard promo saying that tonight he proves he's the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Fair enough. So, our main event is Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog for the WWF title. On the November 27th Raw, Bret Hart appeared on, of all things, the Brother Love show. Oh, I was kind of perturbed as to where Brother Love has reappeared from, but he's just sort of turned back <laughs> up. They've yeah. realised Bruce Pritchard still works for them and they just want him as an interviewer. It's a bit odd. just how comes m- out of nowhere. How long has he been missing for? The Brother Love character's not been on TV for more than four years. Yeah, because he was, he was late 80s like guy, wasn't 89 he? to 91, I would say, yeah. is Brother Love. Hmm. Brother Love claimed that the hitman was a marked man and that a man he had brought into the WWF, The Undertaker, was gunning for Brett. More of this stuff where they're hinting at future title feuds. Hmm. Brother Love said that Brett made his own mother cry because he was going to face his own brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, at In Your House. Brett referenced his match against the Bulldog at SummerSlam in Wembley Stadium in 1992 and said that at In Your House 5 he would gain redemption for that loss. Incidentally, the segment ended with Bob Backlund running out and putting Brett in the cross-faced chicken wing, setting up a non-title match on the 11th of December Raw, which Brett would win via DQ when the British Bulldog attacked while Brett had Backlund in the sharpshooter. I should also mention that in the build-up to the Brett-Backlund match, Bob Backlund screamed about how he wanted to be God again so that he could (laughs) rule over all the plebeians and then put the chicken wing on the sound man because he was angry his mic had been cut off so the show could go to commercial. Bob Backlund's amazing. Yeah, it's just this really bizarre interview where I think it's Doc Hendricks, it's either him or Lawler, just goes to speak to Bob Backlund, who's standing in the crowd, and he just starts screaming into the microphone. They're sort of asking him about being WWF champion, but he just starts talking about being God. (laughs) Fair enough. On the 4th of December Raw, while Davey Boy faced off against Bob Holly, on commentary, Jerry Lawler claimed that while Bulldog's wife and Brett's sister, Diana, had been unable to choose a side during the SummerSlam 92 match, this time she was firmly on the side of her husband. Diana was shown in the crowd watching the aforementioned Brett Backland match and was interviewed by Lawler, where she said she'd be happy if history repeated itself and Davy Boy won. Hmm. In his book, Brett discusses that he was reluctant to participate in an angle where Diana turned on him, and he has a pretty valid point for it. Having had Davy Owen and Jim Neidhart already turn on him, Brett felt that adding his sister to the mix would cause fans to start thinking, well, this guy must be an asshole, as all his family hate him. <laughs> So he tried to nix the angle somewhat. Davy Boy enters first alongside Jim Cornette and his wife. Brett enters next to a bit of a girly pop, I thought. Obviously, with Shawn Michaels not being there, he's the sort of heartthrob, maybe. Okay. Did, did, did you hear that, or was that just me? Was it in your head? Maybe. Okay. I wasn't listening out specifically for that. And Brett Hart looks right with the title around his waist, doesn't he? He does. Well, one of the things that I noted that Vince McMahon on commentary says that Bret Hart gets the best out of his opponents, which I thought was an odd thing for him to say on commentary. Yeah, it's kind of a non-kayfabe Fabe. comment, really, yes, it is. isn't it? Yeah. Maybe it was sort of a barbed jab at Diesel. 
Possibly. Yeah, possibly. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's an odd comment to make, and numerous things I've read about this match reference that. Is, is Vince pretty pissed off at Diesel? He, he certainly was at the end of In Your House 4, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Brett kisses the title before giving it to Earl Hebner. Probably good if you're going to give something to Earl Hebner. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely want your DNA on it. Lawler brings up that Davy Boy is wearing the same tights as he was at SummerSlam 92. He isn't. Oh. Just, it's just not true. Why is he saying that then? I don't know. It, it's a good story to try and sell that, oh, look, it's his lucky tights, but it's all you'd have to do is watch the two matches back to back and you'd find it's <laughs> just a lie. It's a bad man. They lock up to start and Davy pushes Brett away. Same again. Side headlock by Davy. He takes Brett over. Brett with a head scissors. Davy kips out and drop toe hold by Brett. Fluid and fast opening. Very good. Arm ringer by Brett. Davy rolls through multiple times and drags Brett down to the mat. Arm bar by Davy, but Brett backs him into the corner. An arm drag by Brett into an arm bar and a top hammerlock. Cornette has a Santa tennis racket. I like it. Yeah, very festive. Davy attempts a power slam, but Brett rolls out of the ring, slides back in through Davy's leg, and Atomic drops the bulldog. Boot to the midsection and a hammerlock by Brett, and he pulls Davy down to the canvas. Davy Boy hits a knee to Brett's gut, taking him down, and Davy sets Brett up in the tree of woe position and boots Brett into the corner. D- d- this has been a frantic opening. I mean, you've, you've gone through a whole load of stuff there, and it all happens very quickly, very, very quickly. And I've got to say, very impressed by Bulldog here in particular. Like, we know that Brett's capable of this stuff, but this is the first time that I've seen Bulldog to work to this standard. One logic flaw in the whole thing here, though, is he has him up on his shoulder and puts him in the tree of woe position. Why didn't he just do his running power, power slam? Yeah. yeah. Davy accidentally knocks Earl Hebner away, but then helps him back up. I thought that was nice. Nice guy. Well, yeah. I suppose he's seen Diesel get DQ'd earlier. He wouldn't want to waste his title shot, would he? Okay. Chin lock by the Bulldog slows the pace down, and we get some ECW chants. Yeah. <laughs> they're not quite as venomous as the last time we heard them yeah, but, but they're there they yeah. are there yeah. yeah crucifix by brett but davy drops to the mat and we saw that in the SummerSlam 92 match yeah which we it was, watched earlier it was really nice to, i actually don't think that it was as well done in this one as the 92 version but right uh, but it's good in fact the 92 one has some reversal in it as well later doesn't it yeah two count from it anyway vince gets a note saying that the undertaker will face the winner of this match at the royal rumble in the meantime cornet whacks brett with his racket and then tells the cameraman stop looking at me i didn't do anything get out of my face i didn't do nothing he kind of he hits him and immediately kind of whistles nonchalantly doesn't it (laughs) back to the chin lock brett backs davy into the corner and shoulders him in the midsection Brett attempts to whip Davy across the ring, but Davy reverses it. Brett bumps, and Davy gets a two with Brett getting his foot on the ropes. Back body dropped by the Bulldog for a two. Chin lock time again as Diana looks on. I've got, I've got to say, I, I think the, the crowd are really starting to get into it by this point. I've got that, yeah. The crowd are, are getting more heated. Even though the audio for this, and we have mentioned I mean, the audio is shit, and the audio is really shit Terrible for this. on this show. The, I think the commentary, not too bad. In terms of audio quality, but yeah. all the backstage stuff's got this horrible echo Tinny to it. Sound. The 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 crowd noise is also really really a trebly. Bit, a bit off. The, all the hits on the mat have this horrible echo going after them. It's just I don't know what was going on with this one. Brett attempts to bounce Davy off the ropes, but Davy holds on by the hair. Brett manages to get Davy away from him with a monkey flip and hits a bulldog on the bulldog for a two. Very mm. very appropriate. Brett hits a stiff pile driver for a two. Yeah, we we all kind of said the same thing, that it was stiff, didn't we, at the yeah. time? I thought it was a little bit... It wasn't quite straight. 
Yeah, it really twi- twists that's his part leg. of what makes it stiff. I think. It twists his leg a bit. It was it, asymmetrical, wasn't it? Yeah, it didn't look quite as clinical as normal stuff we see from him. Side Russian leg sweep, second rope elbow, and Brett sets Davy up for a superplex, but Davy reverses and crotches Brett on the top rope. Brett falls to the outside. I thought that bit was really nice because I didn't expect it. I didn't see it coming at all, and that was done again. It's This whole match so far has been very fluid and fluent. As Earl Hebner counts, Bulldog follows Brett to the outside. This is, I think, where we get the chance of what I thought at the time was Mabel, but you informed me was Table. Yes. <laughs> kind of harking back to Survivor It would series. be weird if the crowd were chanting Mabel well, during this match. Well, that's what I thought, but it did sound like it. I can assure you, nobody, <laughs> but nobody, is chanting for Mabel. Davy pushes Brett from behind head first into the steel steps. Brett gets pushed back first into the corner post, and when we see Brett close up, he's bleeding. Well, Bad. Well, we didn't think this at the time. Like, me and Adam, because we yeah. both didn't know what was happening here, kind of, you look around, you, you do see something there, like a liquid, and I thought, somebody's throwing a drink in, like, because the, the crowd, are, you know, it's Philly, they're a bit lively. Yeah. I thought, somebody's chucked a drink in, and it's kind of landed near them, and, and some, you know, beer on the floor or something. No, he, he's dripping with blood. Mm, yeah. he, he's bladed deep. Davy shoves Brett headfirst into the rail before rolling him back into the ring. He's hardcore chance for Brett. He's yeah. hardcore. See, that that turned the crowd onto him. Yeah, so presumably they've, they've done this just to please Philly? I would assume so. In some way, it's an apology for King, King of the Ring, Ray. maybe. And for Brett, just making the match mean something and be something different, I think, is the other thing. Yeah, well, it's, it's, a, it's a smart move. And, and this is the thing, other than a bloody nose from Jeff Jarrett and a bit of blood on Triple H's back today... I don't think we've barely seen anything else at all. No, we so, haven't. This is episode 23 of the show, and this is the first time we have seen, you know, that fairly common standard practice of a wrestler bleeding from the forehead. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this this to me was kind of completely out of the blue. Wasn't expected it, and it, all, all of a sudden, you, you, you're hooked. So, whereas it was a good match before, kind of watching it, now it's intense. I think the the crowd are pretty dead for the start of the match, but as soon as the blood happens, there is the the switch goes off for them as well. well. I, th- I like, think that they they start to ramp up because the match is so good. good it anyway, is, yeah. they, they, there is a gradual increase in the sound of the, of the crowd. But yeah, like once you once the blood comes out, it's like they they sort they push an overdrive button, and the crowd then just sort of spring up a lot louder. Davy hits his own stiff pile driver for a two. I think that all the moves, you know, once they get back in after Brett's cut open, yeah. all of the Bulldogs' moves are really vicious, actually. I thought they were really amazing. And, and again, this, this, I think, does suit where they are. It suits the crowd, doesn't it? Yeah. Knowing that they're going to be working a little bit harder it is going to help them buy in. And I think this is where we start to get a few more frequent shots of Diana. Yeah. And, and there's one way it kind of looks like she might be starting to have a few tears. Or attempting to have a few tears. Vertical suplex by the Bulldog. Nice. Two count off of that. Scoop slam by Davy as the ring starts to be smeared with blood. Yeah. Mm. Davy headbutts Brett's ass off the second rope for a two. Headbutts the butt, yeah. Bow and arrow by Davy. Oh, I love that. And that was nice because I didn't expect that, actually. That was, that no, was I can't remember cool. the last time I saw a bow and arrow. Brett flips out of it and tries for the sharpshooter, but Davy kicks him away. I thought Brett's escape from the bow and arrow was really good mm. as well. It was. I actually wrote Great Escape. And I've, got, I've got, got a question here about about the branding. Now I don't know because I didn't mention it at the time, so you'll have to see if you can recall. You know there was kind of the frosty writing. Yeah. So when we had the picture and picture up and, and stuff with Diana on there as well, 
I could have sworn that behind the frosty writing was palm trees, which I thought just was bizarre. I could have sworn that that's the case. Maybe they just took a SummerSlam logo and just made it frosty. They might have done. I might be wrong, but that's what I thought it was. Bulldog shoulder blocks Brett hard out of the ring. Brett tries to climb back in, but Davey clubs him on the apron. Davey attempts to suplex Brett back in, but Brett floats over for a German suplex for a two. Which was awesome. Yeah, that was really nice. They clothesline each other stiffly mid-ring as we get some let's go Brett chants. Yeah, so, yeah, crowd are hot, my note. Davey charges Brett, but Brett backdrops him out of the ring. Brett plunches Davey onto the ring mats. Brett attempts a backwards sort of splash off the second rope, but Davey catches him and power slams him on the ring mats. See, this, yeah, as, as, cool. as I said earlier, this is the night of a good catch into a move. Yes, you're right. Davey pulls up the blue mats, exposing what I think is concrete underneath, and tries for a suplex, but Brett blocks and crotches Davey on the guardrails before clotheslining him off. Back inside, the canvas is a dull sort of red claret type colour. Side slam by Brett, which gets a two. Brett whips Davey into the corner and Davey front flips into the buckle, bounces off and lands on his head. Yeah, that was... That looks nasty. That was nasty. That looked the kind of move where you could break your neck. Brett sets Davey up on the top rope for a superplex and nails it. Brett rolls over for a two. Davey shoves Brett off the ropes for a roll-up, but Brett reverses for a two. Sloppy back body drop there, but the fatigue kind of sells it, really. Yeah. Brett gets whipped into the corner, but gets a boot up on Davey's charge. Brett busts out La Magistrale cradle for the three to retain the title at 21.09. See, that, see that, that, was, that was cool. I mean, I've got to say, it felt like it was a bit of a longer match. It felt really quite epic, but particularly once you've got this, this element of of the blood, which is new and exciting, it felt like that it might have been like a half-hour match. A very, very entertaining match. Very well done. Very well thought out. Played into how the crowd would react nicely. Expertly booked, I thought. Five star? If that's your opinion. Certainly one of the best things that that we've seen. I'd put it up with, you know, the, the Brett Owen or, or the Lana match from WrestleMania 10. I'd put it in that sort of category. Really, I'd, really I'd, good. I'd, yeah, definitely put it up there with those. I thought it was, it's kind of a match of two halves, really. Like you say, the crowd don't really react in the first half. It starts to amp up, but Brett knows what he has to do late on in the match to get them to react. Yeah. And react, they do. From from the blood onwards, this is terrific, and the blood definitely adds to the drama of the story. I always loved, as well, that Brett doesn't always win with a sharpshooter. Like, yeah. if mm. Cena's going to win, it's going to be with the attitude adjustment or the STF. If Orton's going to win, it's going to be with the RKO or previously the punt brett finished so many different matches with so many different moves and la magistral was his ace up his sleeve yeah and it's a move i loved as dating back to smackdown one another classic <laughs> smackdown move my next note just said i love brett hart yes yeah, you, you do, do Stuart. what a surprise he's back in the main event and for the first time in a year the main event is damn good nay a slightly hidden gem yeah yeah yeah, I've got to say, I hadn't particularly heard anything of this match before. No, I, I, it definitely doesn't get the plaudits that SummerSlam 92 does. That's a far bigger deal. Obviously, it's in front of 83,000 people or whatever it is. Is there also a problem with it coming on an in-your-house? They just don't have the same prestige as one of the big Yeah, an early in-your-house at that before they become the sort of big secondary pay-per-views mm. as well. But yeah, def- definitely a hidden gem. If you've never seen it, definitely seek this one out. Oh, you've, you've, you've got to watch it. Yeah, really good. I also thought that Vince urging the cameraman not to show Brett's face was amusing as well. Yeah, yeah was he yeah. talking about going to a wide, wide shot? Wide shots, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. 
So a couple of things that we know about Vince from the last couple of pay-per-views that he definitely doesn't like any gore up close and he definitely thinks it's talent overlooks. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's remember those two bits of information. Maybe, maybe you look back at 1995 and change his business model. Thoughts on blood in wrestling in general? It, it depends on how it's used. What I don't like is I don't like the, the kind of... What I remember a lot of my memories of Ric Flair were, you know, somebody roll him up and he'd be bleeding. Yes, and that actually did happen. Did it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, just this ridiculous, like, every match that he'd have would bleed, and it just takes away any gravitas from it. The fact that this had such an impact in this match was because we haven't really seen anything like this in three years, and 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 that's just made it so much more important. So when it is used well, it really adds to drama, but, you know... It has been so overused for a large block of wrestling. And I think the interesting thing is now it's gone PG and it, you don't see a lot of it. It's now gaining that some of that gravitas back, actually. Yeah. So remember kind of the, the scene, scene of Brock Lesnar one where he first came back, busted him open. That was a big thing. Adam? Yeah, well, I think you really kind of said it all there. That's what it is. You don't want to use it too much because it gets boring. And I guess, you know, it's the same thing with, like, Brett his finisher boots. He's saying if you use the same thing all the time, it gets boring. You need variety in things. And if you're, if you're bleeding every bloody match, then that gets boring as well. If it's used right at the right times, and if it's used, like, in a, on a pay-per-view in a main event, then it, it does have a certain weight into it. Yeah. Um, I, do, I do remember you showing me the... Eddie Guerrero JBL match, which made me feel Judgment very Day, sick. Two thousand four, yeah. That's, that's yeah. a little bit too much. Definitely too. That really made me feel ill. But the the, the buried alive match with Vince and Taker. That's that's, that's gall- weird. That's gallant as well, isn't because it? Because yeah. I, I thought that that was like comedy, but or something. I, I thought the must have had something rigged up because it's spurting from his head, wasn't it? Yeah. And obviously the noggin knocker Joey Mercury oh. episode, which we all remember with horrible nightmares yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it you know 1995 is so derided and you know with with perhaps good reason but in the last two months of it we've seen two things that will become very much a staple of the wwf's big expansion i mean i'm not saying they're the reasons for it but table spots and blood have yeah. been part of our last two main events coming from you know somebody who's sort of widely respected as a very technical wrestler and yeah. a very wrestler's wrestler rather than that sort of what blood and tables will come to mean and the frequency with which they will come to be used. And and, and tits as well. And, and tits, Adam, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Paul. It, it should be one of those things, like especially today, you know, it should be a voluntary thing. No one should be forced to do it. But in the right match, in the right situation, it adds to the drama. Yeah. Are people mutilating themselves? Yes. But if they're doing it through their own free will well who are we to say outright well no you shouldn't be doing that it's it's the the Candice LeRae Joey Ryan Young Bucks match certainly a lot of the drama in that comes from the fact that shit that's a woman bleeding oh Jesus Mm. yeah yeah that's horrible but again when you don't see as much of it anymore as you used to when you do see it the the drama certainly is is built up a lot greater than when you saw it on every show well, people get desensitised to it yeah. a little bit, don't they? Which is why, I guess, when things moved from whatever era the WWE was in into the PG era, I suppose a lot of people switched off. Yeah. Because they were desensitised to what was happening, so that when it became something else, it no longer had 
even the level playing field of excitement for them. Yeah. yeah. So it became less than that, so they just buggered off. I mean, another example you you can kind of draw is the banning of the pile driver. So for years, we'd never seen a pile yeah. driver. And yeah, then that yeah. Punk Cena match, they bust out a pile driver and the crowd reacts to it because they know that's not a thing that happens anymore. Yeah. And the thing is, once you make it a commonplace thing, the crowd are then always going to want more. So, I mean, ECW is kind of a good example of that in the blood so frequent and table spots are so frequent that they go on to things like fire, which is, you know, verging on the ridiculous. And then, you know, and then CZW. When, yeah, and then when fire's common, what do you want? Well, we want glass and light tubes. And then when that's common, what do we want after that? And We want a cactus and a milk bottle that's had thumbtacks glued to the outside of it. <laughs> You're a big fan of CZW, aren't you, Paul? I'm intrigued by it. Yeah. I, I do. It, it is something that's... That I, 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 like... I can't get my head around people doing what they do voluntarily. <laughs> I, I, I for, really, for, for 20 bucks. I, I just can't believe what they go through. And to think about people, you know, people now like Dean Ambrose, who has wrestled in things like Tournament of Death and think, you know, and okay, you had people in the past like Mick Foley. But you kind of think these new generation people that are going into WWE, sorry, you know, potentially coming from that kind of background is interesting. It's interesting. Hmm. It's interesting that, like in today's era, the WWE would really consider them if they look back at their almost their, their track yeah. record and think, "Well, you've made up a lot of your following and whatever in in CZW. We don't want to be associated with that." But I, I would have thought, in the example of Ambrose, his notoriety to them would have more come from Dragon Gate USA and that kind of thing. I yeah. think that's where they would have more seen footage of what he was doing and more more to do with his promos. I would have thought mm. as well. But so anyway, yes. Brett bladed, but made out at the time that he hadn't, as it was against WWF policy. No, that, that, I went into the steps. <laughs> uh, I didn't blade. What's that? But you can very obviously see him put yeah, the blade yeah, back down yeah. on the footage. I, I wonder what the conversation between like Vince and Brett went like after the match. It should be interesting to that know. Would, yeah. Like to yeah, fly on the wall. That he had culpable deniability. Okay. Hmm. Maybe. I mean, I mean one, of, one of the things that I think is interesting with that is when Vince kind of obviously had, you know, the end of In Your House 4, and you'd gone through that main event and he's, and he's, you know, going backstage. Probably a very different feeling going backstage at the end of In Your House 5 because you've had a second very good show back-to-back and you've had a very good main event that's been well-received by the crowd. You, I, I think I think you'd, you'd think, OK, not supposed to do that, but did it achieve what I wanted to? Yes, it did, and you're probably going to go a bit lighter on it. But they are making less and less money, aren't they? Well, as the buy rate for this show was so bad, the WWF actually showed the match in full on the January the 8th, 96 Raw. On Mm. one hand, you could say it's a big fuck you to the people who pay to watch the show, but as so few of the audience actually did buy it, you can see that putting the match on TV for free was an attempt to go, see, you should order our pay-per-views because look what you're missing. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's fair enough. What an unbelievable night here tonight in your house. We are just about out of time. That compilation video taking a look at all the highlights tonight coming up. However, right now, a very special word with the one and only Paul Bear and The Undertaker. Congratulations are in order. The Undertaker named the number one challenger. He will meet the hitman Bret Hart in the WWF Royal Rumble. Oh, yes, over and over again, the fans of the World Wrestling Federation have asked, when is The Undertaker going to get a championship match? Thank you, Mr. Monsoon. It's going to come true. Oh, WWF Royal Rumble is where it's going to happen. And uh, stand by just one second. What the hell's going on around here? 
Because you beat Mabel, you're all of a sudden the number one contender? Let's go ahead. It's my title shot next. Oh, Big Daddy Cool, you haven't been very cool lately. In fact, you ruined your cool off. I'm going as I want. You know what? It seems to me people have been dodging me around here lately. I don't dodge anybody. So this is the way it's going to be, huh? If it's got to be, it has to be. In Your House Extra gives us a Todd Pettingill interview with The Undertaker. Paul Bearer is thankful for Taker's title shot at the Royal Rumble. Diesel interrupts and wants to know why he doesn't get the next title shot. Taker says he doesn't dodge anybody and a video package ends the show. Mm. Also, we get Paul Bearer saying Big Daddy Cool, Mm. which is hilarious. (laughs) So, yeah, there's this interesting mix at the top of the card as well now where Taker, for the first time, is being moved away from these silly feuds with silly people and being placed in with the sort of these other new generation mainstay stars like Diesel and Brett. So that's interesting considering that he'll be in the mix with those guys. In dark matches taped after the pay-per-view portion of the evening ended, Goldust defeated Duke the Dumpster Drosy. And in an eight-man tag team match, the Smoking Guns, Hakushi and Barry Horowitz defeated the Body Donners, Skip and Zip, Yokozuna and Isaac Yankum. Who's Zip? We'll discuss that next time. Okay. <laughs> Overall thoughts on the show? I really liked it. As I say, I think they've ended 95 on, on something of a, a high and... Yes, 95 has got a reputation. You know, it's been really interesting for me as as somebody who know very little about this era, but in particular this year, but to have known the reputation and then to have watched it and think, yeah, this is this is pretty bad. But then we've got these last two shows, and I would say that these last two shows, WrestleMania 10 apart, probably better than anything else that we've seen. Okay. Or, or at least up there with everything else we've seen, and actually just stand out as good pay-per-views anyway. Happily watch both of Survivor Series and Indie House 5 again. Adam? Yeah, well worth it. You know, there's, there's far worse ways to spend two hours if you're watching wrestling. But really nice opener, really great finish, and some nice, a bit silly stuff in the middle, but nothing that offended me too much. Even the casket match didn't offend me too much. Plus, you know, Armin Johnson speaks. Can't go wrong with that. What more could you ask for? Jugs, but I won't... You would have wanted Sonny on the portion of the the pay-per-view portion of the show. Yeah, but never mind. Yeah, I think this is a pretty decent little show, actually. Obviously, what it's got going for it is the main event, which, yeah, like I said, is probably still classified as hidden gem. I don't think it's revered as much as a lot of other Brett matches, but it probably should be. The opener's got a nice energy to it when Sid's not in the ring. Is the match on Brett's DVDs? It is, yeah. It's on. It's on the first Brett Hart DVD. Okay. Uh, I mean, I thought the the hog pen match, as we discussed, it's like, was unique. Ent- it was entertaining. You know, silly gimmick, but it was it was still entertaining. And that that could have been really terrible, couldn't it? That, it could have. That yeah. could have been the worst thing we've ever seen. But. Both the participants put in a decent effort. And I think you've got quite an interesting dichotomy on the show as well. Not that it's necessarily the turning point from what the WWF was to what the WWF will be, but you've got that sort of very epic main event with the blood, and then you've got Santa Claus turning heel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a very much that's where you're coming from to that's where you're going. I think, like you were saying, we also see the emergence of the the Diesel character. And yeah. becoming that new sort of the cool heel. Yeah. Which is something that obviously works and something that will take on to whole new heights. Yeah. As they go. So it, it is kind of like, it feels a bit like a pivotal time. So, guess what? What? We've reached the end of 1995. Hallelujah. 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 
but you have that reaction. But but now I'm kind of filled with hope and thinking, yeah, yes, there was there was plenty of bad in '95, but actually we've seen some very good stuff in '95 as well. Things like the ladder match. Things like Jeff Jarrett, Shawn Michaels, the last two pay-per-views as we've discussed have been good. So yeah, that, that takes me to my next point. Just sum up the year. Your your opinions and your feelings on the year overall. The the majority, you know, let's be honest, is low. But there's lots of good stuff. The, the, the thing, as we've discussed before, that really has let 95 down has been a large proportion of the shows have had poor main events up, up until the last couple of shows. Do you think that's part of why it's so poorly regarded? I think so. I think it makes a massive impact. You know, you, you have to finish on a high because that's what... People will remember. Yes, it's the memory people are left with, so, yeah. I think it's like panning for precious stones and a big puddle of shit, and occasionally you find something really good, but you've got to wade through the crap to get to it. I think that's the problem that people have with 1995. It's fucking work. You've got to watch an awful lot of terrible stuff to find the the few moments that are really good. Well, that's the pleasant thing with the internet now, because obviously if you're front at a time, you can understand why a lot of people switched off for, for that very oh, reason. Oh, yeah, yeah. But actually, for people looking back now, if you don't have, if you were like me and you didn't have any experience from 1995 and, and you want to go back and choose certain bits, go back and do it because those bits are well worth yeah. finding. Yeah, I, I could easily knock up a list of 10 matches that I would say aren't just good for 1995 but are good. You know, you, you would point to... Brett and the Bulldog, you would point to Brett and Diesel at Survivor Series, you would point to Brett and Jean-Pierre Lafitte, you would point yeah. to Sean and yeah. Jarrett, Kid and Hakushi. you would even point to Bam Bam Bigelow and Lawrence Taylor, yeah. just out of a... An interest yeah. An interest. Yeah. And, yeah. You, you might even point to the Survivor Series match with people like Barry Horowitz and yeah. like that, that, yeah. that was a really fun, interesting match. And in many ways, that's probably the greatest service that we're providing with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the podcast before you watch the pay-per-views, and pick out the matches that we say are worth watching or, you know, you must seek out and watch. And that way it saves you all sorts of shit. Yeah, and I'll go back to the people who, where we categorically said, do not watch King of the Ring. <laughs> and the amount of people that then tweeted saying, yeah, I watched that. It was fucking terrible. Why did I watch it? And yeah. I'm thinking... Well, we did tell you. We did tell you not to bother. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's not our place to tell anybody out well, right? yeah. what to watch and what not to watch. We can only kind of say, I feel this is worth watching or... This is but, of interest, or we it, think this would be well, of interest. in an advisory capacity. Yeah. Well, although, like, like I mentioned, when we got to In Your House 4, which I thought was awful, but just for my mind, because in because sorry, King of the Ring 95 has that reputation of being so abysmally bad, it really was something that I had to watch and was quite, in a way, I don't want to watch it again, <laughs> but I kind of feel glad that I have because now I know that is the benchmark for the lowest of the low. In your house four, I also thought it was down there. But. We also had that expectation, didn't we? Whether yeah. We knew from talking to you that, you know, wait for 95, it's crap. Yeah. And, you know, so the expectation was always very, very low. So when you find something that's good, it's like a triumph that you found something that, that breaches above that level. I suppose if you go into this year expecting a mid-plane, then you're going to be disappointed the majority of the time. I think maybe part of the problem of why it's so poorly regarded as well is that so little of what happens in it sticks. Yeah. So a lot of what 96 contributes will stick. A lot of what 97 will contribute will stick. But so little of what 1995 offers sticks. Is it like a year of testing the water with loads of things and and lots of it failing? You've got a lot of people coming and going. You've got people like Bigelow leaving who've 
who've been around a good long while. But then you've got people coming in and out like Jean-Pierre Lafitte, Shane Douglas, people like that. Techno where, Team 2000. Techno Team 2000, Mantar, things that just... Fantasio, which we never really spoke about because it never mm, made pay-per-view. Yeah. But, and, and then there's this, there's this still this whole obsession with the two-job wrestler, which... I will warn you, does continue into 96. But yeah, wrestling bin man and wrestling race car driver and things that just, yeah, just don't stick and gimmicks that don't work for people. And Mabel winning King of the Ring. And Mabel winning King of the Ring, which, you know, you cannot deride enough as being just a terrible, terrible decision. Still, it's been an interesting year. It's been an interesting ride. Match of the night and MVP. Is it obvious? Should should we just all categorically agree now? Well, 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 we'll take it in turns. Main event and Brett. Adam? Main event and Brett, although I will say I did agonise a bit about the Bulldog, so I thought the Bulldog did fucking well. Well, that, that, that is true in terms of Brett was definitely the better performer, and but it's by far the best I've seen from Bulldog. Yeah, yourself. don't, don't take anything away from him. I, I take it you're going to you're going to complete this. Yeah, match of the night is Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog, and MVP is is Bret the Hitman Hart. I thought you were going to go Savio Vega versus Santa Claus for a second. <laughs> I, I do think I have to give a special shout out to the Hog Pen match because I did just love that. Yeah, I, I knew you'd love that, you know. Yeah, it, it's absolutely, I've said it probably about ten times now, but hidden gem is absolutely the word for it. And Brett proves he belongs in that main event. And it's that's to actually see him in the main event, because last time he was champion, yeah. he was never in the fucking main event. Yeah, I know these are the sort of lower status shows, but it's nice to see him given that slot above Taker, above Jerry Lawler and Roddy Piper, above other people, yeah. you know. <laughs> And yeah, Bulldog definitely deserves a lot of credit as well. And it's interesting what this match kind of says about the debacle in your house for. Whose fault does the blame for that match lay at? Well, I don't want to entirely put it on Diesel's shoulders, but maybe this performance, it either says Brett is the absolute master of carrying everyone to anything, which I wouldn't necessarily say that he is, but it proves that Bulldog can contribute as well. Yeah, yeah, he was really good. Mullet of the night. And I haven't mentioned mullets at all. You haven't, no. In this. And I think they were they were sparse. We've got long hair, but but very few, very few things that are actually constituting a proper mullet. Marty Ginetti is obviously still there flying the flag high. But he won a couple of weeks ago, didn't he? A couple of episodes ago, sorry. I'm going to give it to Sid. Because <laughs> Sid's got like the, this permed mullet. It's not overly long, but it is definitely business at the front, party down the back. Is this his first victory? <laughs> he beat most, Henry Godwin it's his most comprehensive victory I'd say you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash new generation project podcast we are on Twitter at the mildly confusing new gen podcast <laughs> we're also on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash new gen podcast and on Stitcher Radio if you search for us there all of our episodes go up as soon as they are available on piledriverwrestling.net and the back catalogue goes up one by one by one on botchermania.com as ever that was a good rhyme one by one by one on botchermania.com thank you as ever you can rate, review and subscribe in iTunes and what happened in between last episode and this one Paul? we, we reached our targets of having 55 star reviews on iTunes so again massive massive shout out and thanks to everyone who's who's taken the time and gone to the effort of leaving us a nice review. It's really lovely to hear kind words, very humbling. Yeah, absolutely. So don't think because we've reached 50, you have to stop if you want to write us a review. Feel free to carry on. Well, our next target presumably should be 100. Well, 100 would obviously be the next logical target, but I'm not going to aim for that by two weeks' time. Okay. It'd be nice to reach a century. It would, yes. 
Before we go, I'll give another couple of quick plugs. Firstly, for Calling Spots issue 11 again, which we discussed last episode. The cover article discussing the history and evolution of NXT was written by me, so I'd like to think that some of you out there would actually like to read it. Yes. Have you read it? Yes. It's good. I've not. You're a cunt. (laughs) If you would, head to callingspots.com where you can pick up the issue for one ninety nine plus postage or pick up a subscription of five issues including postage for fourteen ninety five. Very good value. And secondly, a final plug for Titan Sinking by James Dixon, a book solely focused on the year 1995. So if you've enjoyed our discussions over the last dozen or so episodes and want a bit more depth, check that out. It's available for Kindle on Amazon.com. I think you should give it a read, Paul. I, thought, I think you'd quite enjoy it. I think I would like it. I should get it on Kindle. Episode 24 will not be a pay-per-view. Da, da, da. What will it be, Stuart? It will be part of our first birthday celebrations. In a break from our traditional format, we'll be doing a Q&A episode. So it gives you guys the chance to ask us anything you'd like, be it wrestling-related. Could, could we call it an, a, a fuck you? A what? Frequently asked questions. questions. Well, I'll, I'll see. To, I'll, I'll to give it a slightly different date. slant so it doesn't look like we're just copying other podcasts. I was going to call it the New Generation Game. Which that's was, genius which yeah, was yeah. a conversation Chris Pilkington and I had so I was just going to steal it for that episode uh, yeah go, go for I've it. ruined that surprise now <laughs> so yeah it gives you guys the chance to ask us anything you'd like so be it wrestling related maths related or haircut related anything you think would make an interesting bit for discussion on or off topic so I'll put a link up on Facebook soon for people to post the questions in so keep an eye out for your chance to be part of the chance to form the discussion I'm looking forward to it Yes, tremendously excited, I must say. It means I'll have to do a lot less research. And presumably we won't have to do any research or watch any pay-per-views. No. Can I still come around and eat takeaway first? Of course you can. Thank you. My name is Stuart Brooks, so I shall say goodbye. I'm Adam Arch, goodbye. I'm at Yes Paul Scrivens, and bye-bye to 1995. What about sunrise? What about rain? What about all the things that you said we weren't again? What about killing fields? Is there a time? Ooh. What about all the things that you said was yours and mine? Did you ever stop to notice? All the blood we've shed before Did you ever stop to notice The other cry these weeping shows
What have we done to the world? Look what we've done. What about all the peace that you pledged your only son? What about flowering fields? Is there a time? What about all the dreams that you said was yours and mine? Did you ever stop to notice all the children dead from war? Did you ever stop to notice crying out this weeping shores? What about us?